podcast dedicated to the stories and universes we hold so dear. With Veterans Day, also known as Remembrance Day, mere days away, my stalwart companions here on the TNT podcast have so graciously agreed to join me as we revisit the dark and destructive days that gave birth to this time of commemoration. To help us frame and structure this discussion a little bit better, today we'll be exploring director Sam Mendes' 2019 film, 1917 a fictional story inspired by the tales told to Mendez as a child by his grandfather, Alfred, whom had served as a lance corporal and runner for the British Empire during the Great War of 1914-1918. And your guides, as usual, on this journey today will be me, Jake, Sam, and Chris. All right. Our story today opens on the 6th of April, 1917. Approaching the end of the third year of the First World War, our heroes, a pair of Lance Corporals named Blake and Schofield, are tapped to deliver written orders across miles of enemy territory in hopes of saving the lives of 1,600 men, one of whom is our character Blake's own brother, from being slaughtered in a German trap. So to get things started, what do you guys know of the First War? Uh... I don't even know which one's which, honestly. We fought, <laughs> we fought the Germans. Ah, yes, and that one. It was, uh, it was when Holocaust happened, wasn't it? No, that's Second World War. All right, that's Second World War. <laughs> I, no, I, I told much. you, I told I you I don't know much, much about. Though, I mean, there was definitely a genocide or two, so. <laughs> There's always a genocide, man. Yeah, yeah well, the genocide's all the way down with humans. We're, what was the genocide of for this one? Uh, the biggest one is the Armenian gen- genocide. Okay. That was committed by the Ottoman Empire, mm-hmm. which would later, most of which form into the government of Turkey. Okay. With uh, Ataturk after the war. Um, that's the one you hear a lot about. I think it was something like... 800,000 to 1.2 million. Hmm. And like... Oh, that hurts my heart. It was a really bad one. Um, They were used uh, as like fall guys for a bunch of failures the Ottoman Empire had been um, undergoing just because of shit leadership, let's be honest. But that kind of went all around. And, I mean, children, women. uh, One of the biggest cases uh, from those stories that I'd heard is where they actually took these Ar- these Armenian refugees and like walked them out into the desert with no food or drink and mm. just walked until they died. There was of course a lot of gun violence too mm-hmm. because I mean if you got a gun, I guess. Mhm. Hmm. But yeah. Mm. Uh so with that, I thought I'd r- list off a few real big numbers to try to put some of this carnage into perspective specifically with the war itself. Um, So between both sides of belligerence, that's the triple entente on the one side, your French, British, later Americans, uh, Italians also, even though they started with the central powers, they switched over in, Mm -hmm. I say 1915, and they took massive casualties. But between all of those and the Germans... Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Ottoman Empire, there was 68.1 million soldiers that served. Wow. Um, 
with uh, some 23 million wounded, of course, often in a horrific fashion. Mm -hmm. It's uh, also what led to a lot of advances in uh, cosmetic and plastic surgeries, oh. just because of so many just awful wounds. Uh, and uh, over the course of the war, they fired nearly 1.1 billion artillery shells. Ooh. And these artillery shells accounted for about 75% of all casualties. That's death, wounded, everything during the war. Uh, they utilized 1 million machine guns and fired some 50 billion bullets, but that's also with other firearms mm. throughout the war. So those numbers, of course, reflect totals we have not quite yet reached by this time in the story. Uh, we meet our protagonist, attempting to get some rest beneath the shade of a large tree. Uh, we've been told it is April 6, 1917, which is actually a pretty consequential date in terms of the war. That's when Woodrow Wilson and the American government officially declared war on Germany. Oh. But uh, as we see from our main characters, it's just another day. Mm -hmm. Most of the troops wouldn't even know for quite some time yet, just because news traveled so slowly at this point in history. At this point, they're uh, roused from their sleep by their sergeant and told to receive instructions. So, dipping in here, what did you guys think of the, the design of the, the trench and everything? It was pretty nice looking. Like, I, I asked Christopher, I was like, uh, are there still trenches that you can fully see like that? Because, you know, I know you see pictures of some of them like, overgrown and stuff, but I, I was asking him if there's any that are intact. No, then nothing overgrown kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? But Yeah, they actually do still have some historical sites. And some uh, some people even provide tours oh. of Western Front battle locations and mm -hmm. stuff like that. So you can get, you know, a better idea of the, the mud and rot that everyone had to fight in for so many years. Mm. And anyway, as we pass through the trenches, uh, we next meet General Colin Firth. I forgot his name, so he's just going to be <laughs> Colin Firth. Colin Firth. <laughs> and at this point, he lays the stakes for the movie. Uh, one thing, and I hear lots of people point this out when they're talking about this movie, is the casting choices for all of the executive officers mm -hmm. and everything. It's uh, these you know big, well-established actors. And what gets pointed out and what I also really enjoyed is that it kind of frames what these people would have been like to the average citizen or the average soldier at this time. Mm -hmm. They were the ones in the news, the ones you heard about. Oh. They were these larger-than-life figures. Mm -hmm. And so casting them versus our, our relatively you know, lesser-known actors playing Schofield and Blake mm -hmm. was a really nice decision. Anyway, at this point, from General Colin Firth, uh, we get our orders to take these um, orders to try to call off an assault that they're planning. Now, here's where these events start drawing heavily from what actually would have been happening mm -hmm. in the spring of uh, 1917. It was just following uh, a period of time called Operation Albrecht, which was being uh, done by the Germans. It was a strategic withdrawal from their primary line, which had bulged out since the offensives of last year at the Somme. Mm -hmm. And this bulge created a massive uh, front line that had to be guarded, manned, and operated. So what they were doing is they were moving uh, several miles back to a new fortified position called the Hindenburg Line. 
this would have freed up some 13 to 14 divisions for the Germans, therefore increasing their abilities to reach out and strike. Mm -hmm. So from there, with our mission at hand and perspective thus gained, we set off. And here we get uh, to see a distinct contrast of Blake and Schofield as characters. Um, Blake is, of course, very motivated to you know get out there, save his brother. But there's also a brassness like uh, that comes with youthful ide uh, ideology. That he wants to see some action, maybe get a medal. Mm -hmm. Uh, but Schofield's very reserved and insisting that they have to take their time and be clever about this. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they'll just get, you know, murked. <laughs> yeah. Because his one big thing is he wanted to wait till nightfall. Yeah. So especially, especially to cross the no man's land. Yeah, which was common practice. That actually reminds me of uh, one thing they typically did a lot of times because towards the end of this movie, we're going to see a big offensive push, like thousands of men going over the top and while these did happen typically there was only one or two a year mm. massive pushes otherwise a lot of times what people would do is night raids um, where they would slip out under the wire sneak their way over to the other line and uh, attempt to s uh, steal key information or even take a couple prisoners just to look busy also to give them a chance to sabotage the defenses of the other side well, okay no, honestly, I did really like seeing uh, Blake like this because for me, it, it was sort of a sentimentality because it kind of reminded me of how I could even imagine my brothers reacting if you know they were in such a situation. So it really endeared me to the character. Yeah, and he the way he was he wouldn't really listen to reason to the, what the other character's name. Uh, Schofield. Schofield. Yeah. He wouldn't really listen to reason, and when even when he tried to um, convince him otherwise, and that he. I don't think he thought about the danger in the process. You know what I mean? Yeah. How there could still be people over there. How could they could still be hiding somewhere. He just trudged forward without caring. Yeah. Charge out there. Yeah. Little thought. Uh, so as we're heading out of the trenches and uh, about to get to the point where they'll need to try to cross, we meet what I think is probably one of my favorite characters, uh, a Lieutenant Leslie. And this guy's played by Andrew Scott. I don't know. Have you guys heard of the uh, show Fleabag? I think is what it's called. Um, uh, maybe. Sounds kind of familiar, but I don't know if I've seen anything. I've seen him in something. I think it was Kingsman or something. Uh, I can't remember if he was in Kingsman. I know he was in the the Sherlock series. He played um, Moriarty. Uh, but anyway, Fleabag was a was a BBC. I want to say comedy. I honestly haven't watched it either, <laughs> but. Um, there for a while, my social media was getting uh, backed up with people sharing Im images of the hot priest. Oh. And Andrew Scott played the hot priest. Oh. The hot priest. Mm -hmm. Before we get past this point, I did want to point out what were in the bags in the German bunker. We haven't really got there yet. Well, no, he's already he's already talking to one of the the guy he's no, talking. No, no, you're far ahead. You're we're thinking of the guy giving him the rundown before crossing Is it? no man's land. Oh, yeah, a little bit. And to answer that, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know what was in them. Because they never really figured out what was in it. And then I'm like, what is in those bags? Because they're tracking the rats, trying to track the rats for a reason. Yeah. Yeah, I'm guessing it might just be like spoiled food or something just to try to lure the rats out. Because mm -hmm. um, 
rat hunting was kind of a necessary thing out there. There's so many. I guess so. Mm. Anyways. But, yeah. Anyway, we meet Andrew Scott. His just gleefully nihilistic, I thought, and it reminded me of another BBC show called uh, Black Adder Goes Forth. I can't recommend it enough. It's it's World War One, but with sometimes slapstick humor. Okay. And it's really great. Uh, got Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Bean. Oh. Is in it. Oh. So I know Mr. Bean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next they. They take off and slowly work their way across. Now, what did you guys think of this whole area? Ugh. It was, uh, the bodies, like, it was cool to see how they integrated the bodies, which would really happen because they'd get blown to pieces and stuff into, like, the barbed wire. Like, you see them half buried in dirt kind uh, of the, thing. The bowing chap. Yeah, yeah, that kind of thing. Uh, it was, it was, it'd be crazy to have to go across that and see all your dead comrades. Yeah. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And because of the nature of that warfare, they would just be left out there to rot. Yeah. You can't really go tre- retrieve them. Sometimes they would try to save a companion if they were still alive and screaming after dark, but it was just the the state of affairs for most of the time. Mm-hmm. Just watching and smelling, you know, your friend rotting just a few hundred yards away. And then oh. when he put his hand in the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> we haven't got there yet. You're skipping so far he, ahead. This is this is no. This is him going That's across. The, this is the end of that though. They're still going across. We're we're, we're walking along. Yeah, we're walking along. <laughs> but you completely forgot what happened before that. What was before that? He cut his hand on the barbed wire. Oh. <laughs> Razor wire. No, it was just barbed wire, wasn't it? Uh, at this point, yeah, I think I think it was barbed wire. It was some nasty barbed wire, but it, it was, was just barbed wire. Good. Yeah. It was actually a relatively recent invention. Uh, they just decided, hey, this is really good at keeping cows where we want them. Let's see if it works for soldiers. Uh, uh, let's not think too much into that. <laughs> I did point out to Christopher, though. I said, um, with all those bodies out there as they're going across, you know, I know they're trying to get across fast as they can, but why don't they stop for a couple minutes or whatever while they're, or maybe when they stop and check the bodies near them for supplies? Oh, yeah. That would. I think at this point, because with the packs, they were already laden down. I think it was about 50 or 60 kilos. Mm. So they would have already had quite a bit of weight. Because with their webbing alone, that would have been like 100, 150 rounds, which weighs quite a bit. Because those uh, small magazine Lee Enfields took a round that was, I want to say, almost two inches with with the charge and everything. Well, like, even, I don't know, well, that makes sense, though, but you can, I can just imagine how many supplies they've lost to out there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Food, ammo. I mean, guns might be done for by then, you know, but food, ammo, maybe flares. You, you know what I mean? Absolutely. But back to the topic Samantha was talking about with uh, the hand and the body. Um, shortly before he does that, he cuts his hand on the barbed wire trying to get through the the line and then what just a couple minutes after that happens plane plane flies over right yeah that's what happens so that's why they hunker in this hunker in this hole and then yeah Schofield's hand right through right through uh a german a german corpse i I believe that's what that's what he said he's like i just had my hand in a german (laughs) yeah Uh, it depends on how long that body has been there 
But the fact that he could put his hand through it. Yeah, it seemed pretty squishy. Yeah. So, the, so that I have written down open wound plus dead body equals bad. <laughs> like, I, I think we can agree at this point in medical history, he's probably losing the hand, right? Yeah, in the least. In the least. Well, like, I think, did he have alcohol on him? Uh, no, he just he simply rinses it off with water and then wraps it. Because he could have poured some alcohol on it at least, because then it would have been a, probably a higher proof yeah, or something. Yeah, it would, well, hell, this is skipping ahead of it, but when he's on the truck with the other casuals, they actually hand him a flask. I'm like, right? I mean, that would have been a good thing to do, but how rude would they think you are? Oh, my God. Oh, gee, thanks, right? And just, <laughs> I don't know why I made him Australian. <laughs> she just, she commented on that, right, when they when they passed him the, the alcohol. She's like, what's it, do it now? I'm just like, uh, just take it. Down. But I guess, if it, I guess if they do hand it to them, you don't want to, like, just waste their alcohol, but they probably have that little bit. Yeah, can you imagine the looks on their faces? Just, really? What's wrong with this chap? <laughs> and, like, then I'll tell you the story. I cut my hand and put it through a German, so I want to kind of make sure this is cleaned out. <laughs> Which I guess if you're in the heat of trying to get somewhere, maybe you won't think of that kind of thing. Well, that probably wasn't even a thought for him either at oh, the time. Yeah. Especially, and we will get to that, but yeah, there was a lot. On yeah, his mind yeah. For sure. Ah. Oh, yeah, because this is, yeah, never mind. Too far forward. Continue. Don't worry, dear listener. We will arrive. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so now, upon uh, leaving this macabre tableau of human misery, uh, we arrive at the German trenches, and they do a very nice job just before this, kind of building up a bit of suspense. The music rises ever mm-hmm. so slightly as they come in close just to breach over the side to uh, check with their rifles at ready. And it's empty, like they were told it was going to be. Mm-hmm. And this is also when we get to see the very stark contrast between the British trenches and the German trenches the Germans they were fucking ready like they weren't planning on going no fucking didn't they even use like if I remember correctly the British trenches had more just planks of wood but the Germans was like uh uh what are those called they had cinder blocks railroad ties yeah and full on concrete yeah uh, concrete installations they were they were they weren't planning on going nowhere yeah they were Right from the beginning, one major difference between the two uh, general factions is the British were like, we're going to come in, we're going to do this business, and we'll be done. Mm Won't take long. Phone by Christmas, right? Yeah. The Germans were like, "Mm, nine, this might take a while. Yeah. So (laughs) they dug in, and they readied themselves. (laughs) Do it again, Jake. Do it again. Nine. (laughs) This will take a while. Oh, my God. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, so you've got that, and now they're making their way through, trying to find their way out. And they're finding certain areas are blown apart and covered, possibly an effect of shelling. Uh, but they eventually find their way into a bunkhouse. Once again, a massive difference. When we were at the trenches, we saw people just trying to sleep on little dugout holes. In the wherever they really could, wherever they could find a, a, a spot to, to rest. A spot to rest. And it wasn't even laying down. A lot of them were it's just in a kind of a seated up position to maybe catch an hour nap. Maybe. Absolutely. And yeah, here are the Germans. They have bunk beds. They removed all their mattresses. Uh, but yeah, just... And to, can you imagine being a, a, a British Tommy or a French soldier coming into contact with one of these for the first time and being like, 
you fucking kidding me? I'm just, like, I'm just sleeping in a hole in the ground. They got this. I did want to, uh, I just thought of something that has, when I noticed when they were walking out to leave their, their bunker area, how gradually as you went down, you saw more and more people hurt. Yeah. I, I just thought of that. More and more people were hurt. More and more, they were like stressed out, wanting to get switched out, you know, that kind of thing. More and more people were hurt compared to where they were at. And they were sitting up, you know, on the grass by a tree. But everybody else was, as they got further down, were like hurt or really tired, wanting to switch out crews or whatever, you know. Yeah, it was like a, a, a gentle d- a descent into hell. Yeah. Closer and closer. Which, and that's the way it would have been. Because back there, they would have been at the far rear where they could actually have like a headquarters or a fob located. And... And at the front, it's the actual front lines. These are combat trenches. Mm-hmm. So these guys, are, even as they're on their way to uh, Lieutenant Leslie's position, uh, the one soldier says, ah, you're, you're walking on the dead there. Mm-hmm. And it, as if to imply, he was actually burying the, or placing the sandbags over his uh, lost sergeant or oh, lieutenant. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah. But ugh, just utter misery. Mm-hmm. That actually reminds me I went ahead and I jotted down um, it was a quote from a soldier on the trenches and it says the trench was a horrible sight the dead were stretched out on one side one on top of each other six feet high I thought at the time I should never get the peculiar disgusting smell of the vapor of warm human blood heated by the sun out of my nostrils I would rather have smelt gas a hundred times I can never describe that faint, sickening, horrible smell, which several times nearly knocked me up altogether. Ooh. Wow. Can you imagine what the space they walked between smelled, though, too? It just would have been thick. Yeah, because you don't even know how many bodies are out there, and they're all, like, half-buried or strewn everywhere, you know? So it it was probably horrible smelling there, too. Ooh. No thank you. Absolutely. I wonder how long it takes somebody to go nose blind to that. I don't know if you'd ever, but I hope so. <laughs> well, I imagine Just for if, their own sake. I imagine if you're on the front lines a lot and you're in the middle of battle like that, or you're, you're, you're going to have to get used to it eventually. Either get used to it or you're probably not even going to notice anymore because you're, you're trying to save your own life. When you're in the midst of war like that, yeah. eventually you're, you're just going to become immune to it. You know? I mean, and then I bet afterwards, it, it's, not gonna, it's still going to bother you, but it's not going to bother you as much kind of thing. It'd be something that would be cool to ask a veteran. Like, I, I mean, it'd suck to bring them back to that, you know. I don't want to bring anyone bring them back to that time, but, yeah. you know. I would want to. I would want to ask. I remember, because um, none of my uh, my grandfathers or great grandfather ever served. They seemed to be born at just the right opportune moment where they were either too young or too old for one of the wars. Woohoo! All right. So, as we're moving through. Uh, we next find them spotting all this food and mm-hmm. stuff laying out, and that's when uh, the rats. Yeah, yeah. The rats. That's why I'm like, what is in that things. bag? <laughs> like one of my first thoughts is that is that body parts? Oh god! It kind of lo- looked red, like it yeah, looked kind of yeah. bloody. So I'm like, is that body parts in there? Like, what are they doing? But then when you see what happens, uh, it makes you wonder if they did it on purpose. Yeah, like baiting. Yeah, rats that for a kind trap. of thing. Yeah. And I, I'm thinking that that's that's where they're going with. Uh, also, I hated the CGI on that rat. Oh I right, it so I know. So distracting. Uh, but 
you know, it, another thing we haven't even talked about is what did you guys think of the like single take uh, style they're going for? Like it was one fluid shot. Oh, how they movie. just kind of went through the whole thing. Yeah, I like no those cuts. shots. I like those shots because it gives you like a whole perspective of the whole thing without breaking it up anyway. Like you know what I mean. Yeah, I, I, for me, I felt like being on the ground, like you were a third party to this mission, mm-hmm. and that was really fun. Uh, I thought it was a great decision. Uh, granted, it was, and they talked about it, it was only a simulated um, kind of no-cut style, uh, but there was exactly 48 cuts in the whole movie, wow. if I remember correctly. Not great with numbers, I could be wrong. <laughs> uh, but now, so the rat gets a hold of one of these bait traps I think whatever and falls to the ground and at this point um Schofield notices the tripwire yeah notices the tripwire he's like don't move and then we just get this moment of our hearts palpitating as this rat's just scurrying closer and closer and then it got me even the last time I watched I watched this movie several times (laughs) that just right the massive explosion yeah it was scary and I told Christopher, I, it's crazy to me how as they're going through that, I kept expecting like a German soldier, soldier to come around the corner, or uh, for them to fall into a trap or something like that. But that I wasn't expecting the rat to set off a bomb like that, you know. Absolutely, because the whole time is tense. Like there's not much music going on, and you get to really hear just like every sound, and you're just yeah, me. I was the first time I'm waiting. You're waiting okay. for yeah. it. really builds that dread. Yeah. You're like waiting that for dread them to... right around the corner. <laughs> for, hmm. <laughs> for them to come around the corner and get hit the butt of the gun or something like that. I was waiting for that the whole time, but you never see it. Or yeah. for them to go in the room with all the uh, beds and for them to be soldiers still there kind of thing, you know. Yeah. And then be like, oh, shit. Moment. Yeah. <laughs> Where they freeze and then, oh. <laughs> That's what, I was waiting for that the whole time, but that never happened, so. Uh, so yeah, okay. The explosion goes off. The everything goes dark for a moment, and uh, Blake's able to actually pull Schofield out. And boy, just the idea of just all this concrete mm. and rubble just resting on you—it's so suffocating. Just I'm surprised. I'm. I want. I wonder where the blast actually was. I'm surprised he didn't actually get anything blown off. Yeah, honestly, especially because with blown. yeah, with where the tripwire was. And where he was at, because he was close to the tripwire, you would think he would have, like, a leg blown off or maybe get, like, uh, abrasions from this blast or whatever. But he didn't... When he pulled him out, he was fine. Besides being blinded by the sand or dirt. That's why I kind of theorized that it wasn't... It wasn't meant to kill. It was meant to trap them in there. Which makes sense, because shortly Schofield will go like what I bet they were they were forcing us through that direction that's why the trenches were bra- broken in specific spots like uh, they were trying yep. to get us there so they could trap a whole group of us or something mm-hmm. so um, it really lends itself but the, the whole booby trapping the food tins and all that those were also drawn from real life accounts of how during Operation Alberic um, on the Germans way back to the Hindenburg line they did leave booby traps. Mm-hmm. So, mm. once again, very nice way to neatly tie in um, reality with this fictional uh, retelling. Yeah. Uh, so, 
like save Schofield and Schofield at this point kind of snaps a little bit like why would you bring me here because uh, we haven't found out yet because Schofield is kind of keeping his cards close to his chest he mm -hmm. doesn't talk about home doesn't talk about his family but during this conversation on their way from the uh, German trench they start to talk back and forth and you really get this sense of sadness from Schofield mm -hmm. that we'll find out more about later. Mm -hmm. Also at this point, we discovered that uh, Schofield was given a medal, which he traded for some wine, mm -hmm. uh, for his part in the psalm. Now, the psalm is, uh, it's a term you'll hear a lot in regards to World War One conflict. And what it was, was a massive, ended up being a British-led um, uh, offensive that was supposed to be originally France. Well, France got caught up in the Battle of Verdun earlier in 1916 when all this took place. And so it fell upon the British to try to cause a big enough punch through over here around the River of the Somme to take off some pressure from the French. The uh, offensive itself was several battles going back and forth uh, from the 1st of July, 1916, to the 18th of November. 141 days wow. of bloodshed and carnage. Mm. Now, over 3 million soldiers would fight uh, on both sides, leaving about 1 million dead or wounded. And wow. it still remains one of the bloodiest days in British military history. Mm. And at the time it happened, it there was more people dead during this conflict than any other involving the British Army hmm. combined up to this point. Wow. wow. Now, as we head further towards what we'll call for now the farmhouse, we see some chopped cherries, cherry trees. We find out more about Blake and uh, how his mother grew trees, and we get what I think is kind of a, a nice sentiment from Blake. When Schofield wonders why they would do this, Blake at least comments, well, they'll grow back even bigger this time. Mm -hmm. Which, I mean, especially when you're considering all this destruction that's happening to the French countryside. I don't know, part of the, the sentimental part of me really kind of latched onto that for a moment. Like, I was, yeah. like, m my first thought is, why chop them down? Uh, that was uh, another part of Operation Alberic. It was sort of a scorched earth tactic uh -huh. they were drawing back but they didn't want the British or the French to pick up anything mm. on their way to meet up with them so they killed cattle they poisoned or polluted water sources oh, shit. they destroyed towns which we'll see mm -hmm. uh, once we get to a coos um, they also destroyed their own because they destroyed all their, um, uh, yeah, their artillery. artillery batteries yeah all of them were destroyed they were destroyed, destroyed, which mm -hmm. I don't even know how they did that. They had to have shoved something in the end to make it blow up. Yeah, they probably would have set some cordite charges or something, but probably like more rudimentary. Yeah, uh, for the send, time. A send a round down the wrong way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Boy, just it doesn't shoot out. It just Hans, <laughs> no. Well, like we were saying, because as like as you get further, you see like the the actual burned trees and earth and stuff. Uh, we were saying how it's crazy to see the destruction that they made through it. Like, as they're walking through it, you see more and more destruction that they made leaving 
You know what I mean? Yeah. Compared, I mean, you see the dead bodies as you go through, and then you see um, their artillery destroyed, they destroyed themselves, plus their bunker they wanted to blow up. Yeah. Kind of thing. Yeah. And then you see the farmhouse that's practically destroyed, cherry trees chopped down, cattle, a whole bunch of cattle. Yeah, just, yeah. So much cows. Minus the one. Yeah, oddly enough, and also by the only unpoisoned milk I can assume in the whole countryside. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it was. That was the part that I. I. I'll be honest. I let it take me out of the movie a little bit because I'm like, oh, what are the fucking odds? Eh? Well, my thought is like, <laughs> it must have been still warm because there was warm coal that they yeah. found. Yeah. So who was there? I'm guessing Hans or Fritz or Jerry. You think so? <laughs> I'm. I'm I mean, that's what I'm willing to guess. Because also, another part of Operation Albrecht, and I'm sorry if I'm okay. cutting you off some here, but uh, was they actually rounded up about 125,000 able-bodied Frenchmen oh. and relocated them to other parts behind their line yeah. to as labor, yeah. essentially like slave labor, hmm. which Germans and slave labor kind of makes you think a little too much about what happens in about 20 years from yeah. now. Yeah. Um, Man, Germans have a reputation. God dang. Oh, yeah. No offense to any German listeners we get. I'm just saying, not times. <laughs> it's okay. I'm mostly German, so I can make fun I'm of this. I'm all German. Oh. <laughs> I'm allowed. I'm as far back as my friends could find. I'm German. I don't even know if I have any German in me. I know I have Scandinavian. Scandinavian. That was a joke. If that's what we're going for, I've already had that. Oh, you would like some sauerkraut? Wait, no. It would be Wiener Schnitzel. It would be Wiener Schnitzel. Oh, my God. I'm going to go out the window, guys. Uh, Anyway, we finally get to this abandoned farmhouse. Um, They check around once more. It's kind of a tense moment, but we're starting to feel ourselves relax a little bit um, since the incident at the bunker. Um, And as they're going around, I believe it's Schofield, he finds one remaining cow and a bit of milk. So he goes ahead, and he had just already dumped out most of his canteen trying to clear the dust out of his eyes Mm -hmm. after the incident. So he fills that up, which, have you guys ever had a canteen? Mm. No. No. I don't think he's ever getting the smell of that milk out of there. <laughs> like, that's gonna, that's gonna stick. He'll never have water that doesn't taste a little like milk. Well, it doesn't matter later anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so. yeah. It's, it's a definitely nice breadcrumb moment yes. for that payoff later. It is, it is, it is. Uh, and uh, as they're searching around for any kind of supplies or make sure that it's all clear, uh, we start to see a good old-fashioned dogfight oh, yeah. out in the sky, which was pretty neat that was another thing I, I i liked seeing in this since it is a fictionalized story it gave him more um more ability to insert sort of like vignettes mm-hmm. as they were of different things that would be experienced in war but without overdoing it because they never did a gas attack or uh a lot of other things that were synonymous with this war but they did get little things like oh there's those two guys standing by the trench line on their way through the trench there was a guy with a fake decoy soldier that they would use to pop up over the edge to try to draw sniper fire oh. i didn't even notice that it because it, it kind of looks like a soldier just leaning against the wall huh. oh, yeah. Yeah, nice. why i missed it hmm. i didn't catch it until the third or fourth watch through so <laughs> <laughs> 
don't even worry. Makes don't sense why we didn't notice it. But what did you think of uh, of seeing this like technology or just the idea of aerial combat at this early Is period that, in human life? Uh, biplanes, right? Were they biplanes? Uh, yeah, I believe both of them were biplanes. Uh, for the most part, all planes at this point were biplanes. The Germans started uh, coming out with uh, monoplanes that were pretty pretty swift and nimble, but I don't think in this early 1917 would be seeing a lot of these. Fokker would introduce that later. Yeah, that was literally the guy's last name. Oh, <laughs> gotcha. Um, and that's one thing is like, I've heard the term, you know, we've heard the term before, is the biggest pushes usually in technology is porn and warfare is usually the biggest pushes in technology for us generally. And you just, you see, you know, planes were meant to just, originally when they were first, you know, the Wright brothers were just like, well, we're meant to get from A to B really quickly. And then the military was just like, we can strap guns to those sons of bitches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just, it's, it's, because what? Wright brothers was when? Uh, I want to say 1903, 1904. I probably should have looked that up, but I'm a hack and a fraud. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, it hadn't, hadn't even been that long ago and another on to that point of how quickly the technology evolved um at the start of the war they didn't really have a means of um having a gun or any kind of oh i was right hey 1903 december 17th 1903 wow. <laughs> so much facts in that brain <laughs> jake is our group historian if it's just so we're clear please don't at me <laughs> Don't send me random questions that I don't know the answer to. <laughs> uh, yeah, so 1903 to what? This is 19, 1917, obviously, the movie. So four, 14 years. Less than, because you said December, right? Or December December 3rd. Yeah, December and 7th, and 1903. We're in, we're in April, so yeah. We're, we're so not 14, 13, 14-ish years yeah. going from just getting off the ground to shooting other planes down with said plane. I did not take them long at all. No, and that was the the point I was going to touch on is, even at the start of this war, uh, they didn't have any ways to have an offensive platform on, uh, on planes. So a lot of times it would be a pistol, and you'd kind of just shoot at the guy or drop a freaking brick from your plane into their plane <laughs> and hope to take out a wing. There's a brick flying at you. Whoa! <laughs> it's getting hairy up here. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and then as the war went on, they, uh, once again, I think it was Fokker, he figured out a way to make a timing device on the machine gun so that he could fire in between the propeller blades as it spun Whoa. super fast. And, uh, then the British and French got a hold of a few of these down planes and were able to re uh, reverse engineer it and then full size suddenly have this capability. And bombing had only been used a couple times, mostly during the, oh, I'm going to hate myself if I get this wrong, but the Turco-Italian War, I think. Ah, I could be wrong, um, but only to limited success. And during this war, we'd see blimps dropping uh, bomb or dirigibles, I should say, dropping bombs on London and 
also using planes, which would be far more effective as time went on. The Rudderboat is a funny word. It is a very funny word. <laughs> and of course, it's German. They're full of funny words. <laughs> like we said before, schnitzel. Schwiener schnitzel. Oh my goodness. It's like a nice piece of chocolate. We're gonna get so much hate from any German fans we end up having. I think Weird. it's only fair. Like, <laughs> they threatened us with a thousand-year Reich. I think for the next thousand years we should get a pass on <laughs> on doing bad German accents. Okay, <laughs> it's fair. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got it. And we're German, so I mean, that's yeah. That's, we're just self-hating Germans. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I. I you're only. I'm. All right. So, uh, as this dogfight happens, uh, we see that there is uh, essentially two British sockets, maybe, uh, biplanes attacking this other one, and then finally it appears that they win as the other plane careens down below the horizon, mm-hmm. and as they're just about getting ready to leave, suddenly. We start hearing a sound, and we see this plane now careening across the field straight towards them. Which, I have a comment about that. Why didn't they run? Why were they just standing? The one was just standing there watching. And also, Samantha did make the comment when it was soon as the shot down started going down, and she's like, better move, boys. That plane's moving faster than you think. (laughs) (laughs) I literally did. You can uh, identify patterns. Yes. I'm like, it's coming at you, guys. You need to go. And they just kind of slowly walked away. Move! Slowly start picking a hold. <laughs> um, I, I did think it was kind of weird that they just went straight forward, but I guess they were hoping for like the cover of the barn. Mm-hmm. Also, it looks way cooler on film this way. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But, uh, but do you think the guy had control over it at that point, though? Probably very minimal, because mm. he's probably losing speed rapidly and... I don't know what had all happened to his airframe, like if it was really throwing off his mm-hmm. ability to maintain. Yeah, I will say, so after this plane falls, we see uh, Blake try to save the guy. Why would he even attempt that? And what they keep getting across is that these are two young guys that they're in this war not out of hate necessarily, but it's duty. And this guy is on fire. He's screaming in pain. Yeah. I, it just, it seems like a pretty natural human desire, especially for someone like Blake, who's been in it so, such a short amount of time, mm-hmm. to, you know, just try to save this guy. This yeah. is what you do when someone's in danger mm-hmm. uh, kind of mentality. And Schofield will also be kind of guilty of this, is he, he, has a, he tries to put a lot of trust in the enemy. Mm. And it's just kind of part of the character, I feel like, these aren't violent men, mm-hmm. but they're thrust into a very violent scenario. Well, I think part of it is, though, is they want to appeal to the humanity in people, but as history shows, in the Ger- and when Germans are involved, they show no humanity, essentially. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in this, in Got this, a pretty rough track record. <laughs> in this period in time we're speaking of. I was talking about in future war, in the future war too. Like yeah, they show World a track record, track record of no humanity, and we oh, see it later. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I mean this one, and because this yeah. was this was genocide too. So mostly by the Ottomans, but they did some pretty fucked up things to Belgian civilians, especially. A lot of it was blown out of proportion, but bad stuff is still bad. So yeah. We don't 
have to nitpick too much on which that. and any any people that have any war it's it, even now with the Ukraine the Ukraine Russia war it's, it's bad things are happening yeah you appealed people's try to appeal to people's humanity and you have women being raped kids being raped as we discussed the plane crashes the pilots on fire um, Blake and Schofield go under rescue now at this point Schofield actually uh, suggests maybe they should just put him out of his misery mm-hmm. um, but Blake is He's pretty dedicated to trying to help this man. So he, he sends um, Schofield off to get some water. As this is happening, they do this thing with the pump where they kind of focus on it a lot, and you just see it pumping out this brown stuff. So I started wondering, is it, it going to clear up? Mm. And then, ah! Yeah. The, the pilot turns on, on Blake and stabs him. Uh, Schofield immediately turns about and uh, shoots the pilot twice, uh, killing him. Now, this scene was also pretty emotionally effective. This mm-hmm. was a rough one. Yeah. Real rough one. I agree. Yeah. That's why I'm saying I don't think they should have pulled him out. Because normally on those planes, you can tell whether they're British, German, whatever the case may be, because they'll have some symbol on the side or it's a different color or something like that, you know? So they know it's German and they know what's going on. Why try to save him? Just put him. Out. I would have put him out of his misery, honestly, or just left him to burn. Yeah, and they did correctly identify it, even off in the distance, mm-hmm. that it was German. But once again, I think I think it's just because these men aren't aren't killers. Schofield was considering it just for practicality mm-hmm. purpose, but um, and also it it is kind of weird because at least a lot of the propaganda around the war is that pilots were like these uh, new chivalrous knights of the sky mm. and a lot of times they would uh, treat others pretty well and be treated quite well mm-hmm. a lot of times they would hope to turn them for uh, information purposes oh like try to use them as a prisoner of war type thing yeah. Uh, yeah 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 and also their POW camps were usually the nicest they were in pretty nice accommodations <laughs> but Officers versus enlisted men were just Which, terrible. On the topic of him getting stabbed and when uh, he's trying to save him or whatever, I am surprised he bled so much so quickly. I would have thought it would be a slower bleed unless he hit a major artery and his blood was pumping it out. Because it was on his it left was, side. Was it on his left side? I thought it was like almost dead center. Like maybe maybe slightly so off to one side. The, uh, slightly off to the left, but pretty close to center. So, and... When he pulls it out, you see that it looks like it's probably a bayonet, which these are so I was real long blades. I mean, I mean, if you if you got any preference from early in the movie when they had him on the end of their guns, and it's we're talking, it's like you even commented on it. You didn't think they were that I long. I didn't think they were that long. Yeah, no, they, yeah, they're I don't know, foot and a half, maybe two feet. So that that's could, what it looks like. That could have went. Through I bet him. you probably eighteen inches. I bet you eighteen inches. Yeah, they looked like they could have been. That probably went through him, but yeah. they do say not to pull not to pull things out. Yeah, because well, then it for sure yeah. just opens up a, a causeway for the blood to follow through. Yeah. Did Did Schofield pull it out? No, the 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 German pulled it out right okay, after that's stabbing what I was... him. And, uh, but yeah, I'm guessing it hit his uh, main descending aorta. Oh. Which that that would account for all the blood. Uh, but my props to uh, Dean Charles Chapman, who's the actor that played Blake. He acts his fucking ass off he was really good and if it's to believe uh what i heard is that during this initial part as he's dying 
the that loss of color in his face was all his acting. Really? Like, yeah. Like, I thought that was makeup. Whatever, so did I. Whatever he thought of to make his face go that pale, kudos to that. I guy. literally thought Absolutely. it was makeup because the color difference from his face to his body, like when he gets pulled, uh, when he starts dragging him, right? When he starts dragging him, is drastically different. Yeah, that part, however, was digitally modified. But, yeah, it's just in that close-up scene when he's talking about uh, how my mother, I wasn't scared. Yeah. And all that. And how he loses, like, lucidity there for a yeah. while. He's not sure where he ha- have I been shelled. Yeah. The shock from the blood loss. Yeah. So that part was apparently all his acting. But as they're dragging his body away, they, they digitally, it's, I believe they said, they digitally modified the film. Okay. Okay. Because there was a major more difference when they moved his body away. Yeah. That is nuts. Absolutely. And I, I was surprised how high the blood got, too. Because he was stabbed here, but the blood got all the way yeah. to his stuff up here. Yeah, it really reached out and kind of blanched all through his, yeah. his uniform. Because it got to their map. And his map was up here in his pocket. So it it literally went all the way up to his pocket where he, where he got it out. Oh, mm. if it's bleeding that much, you gotta, that power is going to soak it up. I mean, it's going to go. Oh, yeah, it would have been wool. Can you imagine being out there in full fatigues? Wool, full Ugh, wool itchy. fatigue. No thanks. Well, so heavy. Nope. It'd be heavy, but you'd be warm at least. Yeah. And itchy. We're talking, we're talking France in April, so that's probably not very warm. Yeah, it's probably pretty chilly now that you mention it. Itchy. Northern France. I hate wool. Yeah. Wool is so itchy. Well, especially, <laughs> we'll talk about how cold it is later when we talk about other things that happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Blake's laying dying. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. And um, now we see Schofield uh, start gathering his things, knowing that oh, he's got to tell someone. He's mm-hmm. got to complete this mission. And that was one question I had thought of um, dog tags. Is that when mm-hmm. this started? Was, uh, it, was it this war? Honestly, I don't know. I. I would assume they might go back a little bit further. I, I imagine they probably would have used them during the Boers War around the turn of the century. Um, I could see those going back a while, but it's really hard to say. I thought it was neat how they were just round, like they were stamped out of tin so that they were much easier to, to do that. So I thought that was kind of cool. I, my first thought was when he took the one, I was like, why doesn't he take both? And then I'm like, wait, they can't take both because one needs to be there to identify the body. Yeah. So I'm like, never mind. <laughs> yeah, That's why they're given two. Sad. Re- redundancies to bureaucracy, but necessary. Um, <laughs> all right. So at, at this point, we suddenly realize that Schofield isn't alone. Just at the worst possible time, like, why not five minutes earlier, guys? Mm-hmm. We see that there's also soldiers, and they've noticed what's happening. My first thought before we like saw more of them is they were German. Yeah. That was oh my, my first thought, and I'm like, great. So we haven't seen Germans this whole time besides the one guy, and now we have Germans coming up behind him acting nice. Like my, my For a while, I was like, are these guys really British or French or whoever they were? Or are they, you know, because we knew they were moving. So it could have been German. So I'm like, great. They, he's caught by the Germans now. Great. <laughs> yeah. Well, this just went from bad to worse. Yep. Bad news, worse news. Yeah. But it wasn't. <laughs> and then we see uh, approach. 
uh, a very distinctly different pair of legs. And that's because you got the, the nice leather gaiters, and this is clearly an officer, and we hear that voice. Mm -hmm. And we introduced to Captain Mark Strong. That's the guy from Kingpin. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, I was thinking of someone completely different. Gone roll. Yep. <laughs> you were further ahead. Yep. And uh, I, I love the way his character's done. He's, and right away, we see that this captain is, um, he's portrayed as very empathetic. Mm -hmm. He immediately picks up, well, obviously, he saw poor kid next to dead kid. Mm -hmm. So he's going through some stuff, and so he, he does his best to, to empathize with him, but in still a very, <laughs> very much what I would imagine as a, a stiff upper lip yeah. British way. Best not to dwell on it. Um, and then after this, he offers him a ride to get him closer to a coos, and so he hops in the uh, casuals truck. Now the casuals are described here, and I'm not sure how accurate this is. They took some liberties, but I agree with them. Um, <clears throat> where people that had been returning from leave and were separated from their units would be piled into a, a casuals list so that they could reinforce certain areas and regiments that needed the extra men. Okay. And uh, we meet a few of them. Fun stuff. Were they all British? Because well, the one guy had like more of an Australian accent. or. Uh, I picked up a few. Uh, there was a couple different accents. One sounded more... Uh, more rural. One sounded more like from the north. Uh, but they could have been from anywhere, being mm -hmm. the casual. Because so. uh, the, the one guy, although he had a, um, very much like a, a London accent, uh, the uh, Sepoy Jondalar, who mm -hmm. I thought was the standout, he was the Sikh character. And I loved his, additions, uh, his addition to the group. I noticed back at the time that this came out, some people were complaining because most of the ranks would have been fairly segregated by at least region mm -hmm. and so you wouldn't see a lot of non-white guys in predominantly white units but i thought this was more reflective on the time it's made and it is good to see some representation because during this war over one million indian troops would serve mm -hmm. at one point or another and sixty-seven thousand of them would be wounded so oh. it's it feels very underrepresented um, when we talk about history of this time. Mm -hmm. So for that alone, I think it was a worthwhile addition. Well, I think a lot of uh, history on wars they don't they don't put out there that a lot of people of color served way more than we thought back in those days, mm -hmm. and they portray it more as all white men or uh, just Americans for certain wars or just Germans or whatever, but. I guess the Germans would have been just probably mostly white men because they'd have genocide. Yeah. They, Everybody else. They had that racism thing. Go, well, yeah. everyone had that racism thing. But they were particularly full force with yes. it. But what I'm saying what I'm saying is, like, there's a lot of black men that served that they don't talk about. There was a lot of uh, Native American men that, you know, served in older wars that they don't talk about. They mostly focus on the white men. But they... I think it needs to be talked about more that there was a lot more people of color that served than what they actually talk about. Absolutely. Some of the very first um, American troops over in France that were fighting um, under the auspices of the U.S., they were under Frenchmen, but were the Hel Harlem Hellfighters. Mm -hmm. And, you know, these uh, 
But these guys sacrificed a great deal, uh, many of them being wounded, only to come home and have even more taken from them. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I, I absolutely like being able to see more of that, even though it may not be 100% authentic, it's a fictional retelling. It, mm -hmm. can, it can be that. That's, yeah. that's perfectly fine. Um, so they travel around for a little bit. You start to see some of the camaraderie between the guys. They're making fun of their, uh, their superior officer, which is pretty great. Mm -hmm. And uh, then the truck gets stuck again. This was a good addition to the story because it allows us to see Schofield able to sort of externalize a lot of his emotional pressure mm -hmm. he's under right now, how bad he needs to get this to go. And it, it, it's an, a good release for the guy, yeah. honestly, because he's got to keep so much of this tamped down because he's got what he needs to do. He's got to save his friend's brother. Mm -hmm. And so he's just got to keep calm and carry on, as yeah. it were. Um, I, I mentioned to Chris, I was like, how long do they actually travel? Because when we're at the farm scene, you don't see any sort of town at all. I mean, it could have been right over the ridge. We don't know. But it doesn't seem like they're driving for that long. Yeah, it, it really doesn't look look like they made it all that far. So I think it's safe to assume that some additional liberties were taken with time and distance. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, no, you, you got a point because it seemed like a very short ride. And then yeah. all of a sudden, oh, hey, the we're bridge, in a canal in bridges, Chicago. The bridge is out now. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a fair. Well, how long did they say they had to get there? Uh, they oh, had right. until dawn to get there, and I can't remember how many miles they had to travel. Nine. Nine. Okay. So, I mean, I don't know why I remember that. Which I isn't, I honestly, that. nine miles isn't that far. No. no it's on foot, it is. They say that they were going to be strictly going by foot, mm -hmm. so you got to figure, average person on, we're talking like a straight, nice stretch of pavement, nine miles, you know, might take them a few hours to walk. But yeah. now we're talking trenches. Hills, barbed wire. Barbed wire. War. <laughs> yeah. like, it's going to take, you know, it's yeah. going to take some time. Yeah. Maybe Absolutely. it was like, uh, maybe an hour they were on it then? I mean. Potentially. Especially since cars at this point would not be going so fast. Yeah. And, and they're. And that's when I made the statement um, when they were trying to push it out of the mud hole. I'm like, probably at that point in time, that truck probably didn't weigh a lot. I would, yeah. I would hope not, because like a lot of like the the structuring for the, the the bed itself would be wood, and I mean, there'd probably be more iron with like how it was all fastened together. But yeah, it would be pretty bare bones. So yeah, so probably didn't weigh a lot, and that, that had been what like ten plus dudes. <laughs> yeah, a lot of dudes trying to push it out. It yeah. had been in my mind. Yeah, it's all wet around and whatever. But I just just sitting there thinking, it's like that truck probably doesn't you know if it was a nowadays military truck those 10 guys wouldn't have been able to do it <laughs> but back then you're just also just you're seeing the you're seeing the vehicle too you're just like it probably doesn't weigh all that much yeah but they got it so that's all that matters right i would have think yeah. that how many times they tried pushing it three four times as a group i think they did it for three or four, yeah three or four something like that you would think they would have had it at least the second time because it moved a little bit. They got so close on that last one before they actually yeah. got the final push. And have you ever, have you ever gotten a car stuck in the middle of winter and like some yes. snow and yes. you're like pushing and 
that moment where you almost got oh, it. Oh, I hate that. It's so it's so crushing. defeating. It's soul crushing. And mud and snow, like you just dig deeper. You know oh, what yeah. I mean? Yeah, you keep digging until you either bottom out or you find the bottom. Yeah, and then with snow, snow will compact into your tire and make it a smooth surface. Yeah, and that's the one thing. The one guy had the, the first idea I thought, I'm like, there's a tree right there. Just get a stick and then shove it. And get yeah, a little try bit to get some traction. Yeah. You get a little bit of traction. You go, and he's like, we don't got time for that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Once again, like, that, that externalizing of the emotions. Like, gotta go, gotta go. Can't, can't mm-hmm. think, gotta go. Well, they just weren't strong enough. Which, honestly, in a war setting, they don't have enough time to train enough. Like, say now they train for how long in boot camp, that kind of thing, you know? And they probably just got drafted into it or whatever, thrown into it. So they're probably all... They, some of them may be farmhands, which are stronger, but they could just be businessmen or something that we don't know. You know, so they might not have the muscle to be... Even... I mean, 10 guys still should have pushed it out easily, but... They did get it eventually. Yeah. But they, they struggled. And, like you said, mud's... Mud's rough stuff. Well, like the first couple pushes, it wasn't even all of them. It was just a handful of them. And then there was that moment where he was just like, we got to do this. And they all kind of looked at each other and were just like, and all of a sudden there was like five or six more guys. And it was like, okay. And then that's when they did the the third push. And then the fourth push, I think, was when they actually finally got it moving again. Yeah, Yeah. I think that's when they realized, okay, this guy's serious. We're trying to help him. We need to try to get this out. Mm. And that's when we see John Delar again. And he... He's just—he's played with such a quiet coolness mm-hmm. that I, I immediately gravitate towards his character when I'm watching this, because he immediately like zones in on Schofield, and he's trying to understand why what, what's going on with this guy. He can see he's hurting, he's in pain, and that's when he we get back on the truck and he explains his mission, and they're all like, "Yeah, yeah, mate." Yeah. Yep. Uh, so we get a little bit further. They stop because the bridge is out, the canal bridge. And so he has to separate. And here, at this point, we get another great line from uh, Captain Mark Strong, where he makes sure to tell Schofield that there's someone witnessing when he gives this information mm-hmm. to Colonel McKenzie, either because he specifically knows McKenzie or because he knows the type. But he's like, some men just want the fight. Yeah, yeah. And as soon as he said he says it with such gravitas and meaning, it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. What if? Uh-huh. What if he can't stop this whole thing mm-hmm. after all he's lost? Like he doesn't listen after everything he's been through, kind of thing. Ugh, that would have sucked. Once again, just notches those stakes up just a little bit higher for mm-hmm. us as yeah. the audience. Mm. And then um, after this point, he begins to try to make his way across the uh, the busted bridge, and. I gotta say, I'm just impressed he's managed to get such uh, a hold with those hobnail boots. Cause, oh my goodness. Uh, they look like, even if you have the best track, I could just see myself easily uh, slipping off. Slipping right off the side. I, don't got the, I wouldn't have the balance for that. Yeah. I didn't understand why he walked across, but I get because of the metal down there, but if you walk slow enough, and steady enough, you'd be able to get across it easily. Um, like, I, like I said, too, you have no idea how deep that water is. I guess true. That's a fair point. Plus, walking around wet as can be all day. Let's, I mean, he's got a mission, but oof. in northern France, in wool clothes, oh god, yeah. it's cold. It's gonna be very cold. Cold. Uh, and as he's just about to, to cross, uh, we get our German sniper. 
and yes. also possibly the worst German sniper in human history. <laughs> I have this commented as well. Germans are as bad a shot as stormtroopers. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, and especially since he was left behind, presumably to be a free shooter, or uh, that's what they used to call snipers, was free shooters uh, back during this war. And to miss that many times, especially when you got a clear wide open shot. Right? And he's up, he's high. So there's no way he could have, at least one of them should have hit. He's got the high ground. You know. Thank God for that plot armor. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we go through this whole period. It's it's real tense. He winds his way. Um, He's able to actually nail him with one of his shots as he just whips around uh, a a bit of cover. And then I was watching it on a a uh, review. And he misses so bad every other time he shoots at that mm-hmm. window. It's truly a, a sight to be seen that he got the first hit. I know. Mm. Uh, he makes his way up to check, and this is where we get our our first major, and it's not the first cut, of course, because there's lots of blends throughout, but our first real cut where we cut to black. Uh, after he gets, after there's a duel, pretty yeah. much, you know, they shoot each other, He and he gets... Shot in the helmet, right? Yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. That's what makes him fall fall back. Yeah, which uh, lucky we're in the helmet. Absolutely, you know, it might have been glancing to boot. My first thought though was like, what if it's like a kid? Like we didn't see this person. What if it's a kid like trying to protect himself? Because we didn't know there was actually all the Germans there. Yeah. So what if it's a kid just trying to see, see the soldier? Okay, I gotta try to shoot them down before they come find me. That kind of thing. That would have been harrowing. It would have made sense for the bad shots at that, that point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, you're right. That would have actually made a lot more sense. Just a little kid that's lost his parents because the Germans are there or whatever, you know. So he's trying to just protect himself now. But it wasn't eventually. But that's my, that was my first thought. It was just some kid up there trying to protect himself from any soldier-looking man trying to come at him. But yeah, Which would make sense considering how much of that town was destroyed and there was barely anybody left. So, if yeah. anybody. The, the German forces had rendered this town just inhospitable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then we get the fade to black. And then after this point, he wakes, and we get what I think is just a really cool shot. Because for a moment... We, from the point of view of the camera, kind of separate from Schofield as we work our way up. We careen over the the body of the slain soldier soldier. (laughs) and out the window. And now to achieve this, because you've got cameramen and it cuts really close, what they had to do is they made the wall so it could be pulled away as the cameraman Ah. comes up to hand it off to a crane dolly. That's interesting. Very cool. And the music swells, and it's, it's got a really great ethereal quality mm-hmm. the whole time. It, and watching the flares cascade. Uh, also to do lighting for this shot, because, you know, they had to limit how many takes they could get, because just the nature of this one-shot technique. Um, what they ended up doing is they made a miniature of the, the whole setup, and using LED lights, they mapped out how the light and the shadow would work with the whole set. Oh, wow. So that they could build it up oh, and then use that. Interesting. Hmm. A lot of 
I'm not going to talk about it much because I don't know much about film, but there is a lot of great uh, work that went into this. And this, uh, once again, hack and a fraud. But the, um, the director of photography or the cinematographer, however it would be referred to, is just phenomenal at his job. Roger Deakins. Oh. Uh, and I, I believe he got the award for best cinematography for this movie. Okay. Which, well earned, well earned. Oh yeah, he also did Blade Runner 2049 recently. Well, I guess it's not that recently anymore. Uh, now, as we uh, go into this hellscape, which becomes more and more apparent with each time he goes further and further through a coup, uh, we come, I believe this is the part where we come to the burning church, right? Where it's just a towering inferno. Yeah, he's, he walks... He, yeah, because he gets... He goes through like a kind of like a, t- a you have tunnel vision because he's going through an aisle of buildings and he I think he gets shot at this point he is getting shot at after but then he gets goes towards the church burning church and then he goes around the corner and that's when he sees another yeah German shoulder Shol- soldier it, it's hard after a while <laughs> it's a difficult word <laughs> uh, but they have that stare down for yeah. What, like 10 seconds and it's like oh yeah we have guns yeah. <laughs> and I think for a moment they're both wondering is that, is that my bud yeah. is that a friend over there Yeah. and then you very quickly realize uh, the German did figure it out and he just like goes for it and so this starts a fairly intense chase um, once they get down that alleyway like you're talking uh, I don't know why but maybe it's the heat of the moment and also because movie, uh, the guy keeps trying to fire from the hip, essentially with mm-hmm. his rifle. Yeah, he never, he never, he never brings it up. He's it's down, down here. Yeah, yeah, down and, on the side. And so he, of course, misses every time because all he would have had to do is just uh, get his footing, aim down, and probably yeah, would have been he, able to hit center mass. He wasn't easy. like serpentining very much. He was just running like basically straight down, and he wasn't getting any shots. Yeah. So you're right. If he would have stopped, just for a second. And gotten his footing and aimed, he probably would have gotten one. The movie would have been over too quickly. Oh, True, right. it would have been the end of Portland's Corporal Schofield. Yeah. So after this, he manages. Also, I thought this evasion was pretty weird because yeah, the guy falls, but somehow he has enough time to slip yeah. right out in the middle, <laughs> the open, into this uh, hole in the wall or this uh, coal chute door. Mm-hmm. Uh, but hey, good, it works. Mm-hmm. More movie, and. Uh, after slipping in here and we hear the the german keep charging past not noticing we uh we then see a bit of a, a different scene play out uh he meets a woman here mm-hmm. who's naturally scared at first uh who's been taking care of a, a baby girl that yep. was not even her own and in here we we see and it could just be hindsight taking over when i read into this is that he there's sort of a, a longing to have the simplicity mm-hmm. to be able to stop running and stop doing this and help these people yep. take care of them yep and the way he kind of winces when she tries to tend to his wound you you just tell that he hasn't had this kind of contact with someone gently taking care of him in so long yeah especially depending on how long he's been gone because he said he went back home once yeah already and he was set up ready to go to leave too. Yeah, but 
I told Chris, I was like, if they don't come back for him for them, I'm gonna be mad. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Jake and I had a discussion like, like in 1917, part two. <laughs> <laughs> Save the baby. Yeah. <laughs> well, in in this, they're the only survivors of this town we see. To to know, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, as far as we can tell, the rest of the town's been raised. Like I said, knowing what we know outside of the movie with Operation Alberic, most of the men were either killed or hauled off mm-hmm. to be used as uh, forced labor. Uh, so, yeah, it's tr- it's truly daunting, and it makes you worried because she doesn't even have food for the child. Mm-hmm. Once again, our breadcrumb is now picked up uh, as we, yeah. we get the use for the milk the in the canteen. Of milk. Yep. And... From what I understood, this also came from a story he heard about how uh, how a soldier had found milk at some point and his canteen was empty, so he filled it up and had the opportunity to give it to someone that needed it. Oh, so, nice. Uh, a nice little bit of humanity in the center of all this utter bleakness mm-hmm. and destruction. It really showed then, too, like, because when he asked if they have food... He like sh- when she says no, I'm not her mother. It it brings to light how much uh, more normal breastfeeding was at that point. Oh yeah. Because if you're the child's mother, that's what you would be able to give them. Because the baby was what maybe uh, nine months to a year, maybe. Uh, me, I was thinking younger than that. I was thinking six months tops. You think six months? Yeah. I could see six to nine. There six. was. Yeah, somewhere in there. I'm not a big baby guy. It was so a baby. Well, well honestly, it was a baby. Honestly, you can you can breastfeed your kids for a long time. Oh yeah, a yeah. long time. There's people down south that still suck from the teat at 16. Ugh. We might cut that. Can we'll you see. can you imagine though? Can you imagine <laughs> seeing someone breastfeed their 16 year old son? Oh, uh, it'd be harrowing. Or daughter. <laughs> well, what's it? What's it? In, in grown ups, isn't he like four or five? He's like four. She says he. She says he's like, what, forty seven months? Yeah, she, she puts it something like that. Or something uh, like that. Yeah, she's like yeah. he's for he's forty seven months as he's standing in front of her, <laughs> breastfeeding and, off of and her. And like something happens and it starts squirting everywhere and he's like you're wasting it. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yep. The humanity. But yeah, I think it's kind of it's kind of interesting to see the dynamic between how normal it was for women to breastfeed. Because you see, like, old pictures, too, of women just breastfeeding their kids with, I wouldn't say both boobs out, but they have one. They're not covered. But compared to now, how it's blasphemous for you to so breastfeed taboo. your child when it's normal. It's natural. It just It's just insane to me, the differences, how it was so normal in a time when... We think of being so, like, puritanical exactly. in some ways. Yeah. But, and, and then now... I mean, I guess now it is kind of trying to get puritanical again. Yeah, but... things haven't been going well. <laughs> but yeah, I thought that was an interesting bit how he just assumed that was his her daughter, but she wasn't the actual mother, and he, she is he is he assumed that she already had the milk to give her kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, because as mean uh, as soon as she says we have no food, he's immediately just right yeah, pulling just... out everything yeah. he's got. Yeah, like... everything. He left that place with no supplies. Yeah, he yeah. didn't have anything. No. I, did he leave his gun? I think yeah, he, he dropped he, that already. Yeah, he had lost that already. Oh, he did? He had fired the rounds at the one guy, and I think in that chase, it was he's like, no time to reload, just dead weight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, he's pulled away from this moment, and I think this might have been before he unloaded all his food, by the chiming of the bell. Mm-hmm. 
and I hadn't thought about this until I was writing my notes, and I'm like, who the fuck is chiming that bell? Yeah. <laughs> like, is there a mechanical system? Also, it could be. Uh, wouldn't it be the church that's on fire? You're right. Unless it's a clock tower. Unless it's a clock Unless tower. Unless it's a clock tower somewhere, because a lot of clock towers are mechanized that way to go off automatically. That's that was kind of what I was sort of thinking, but it, yeah, it really it, for the and I thought it was weird that it was the first time it was striking me after like viewing six. I'm mm-hmm. like, wait a second. <laughs> well, it's kind of crazy how it's the first time it went off too. Like even after he passed out, you think he would have heard it some point. Well, and the, see, the thing is, I think. He may have been closer to it at this point in time, mm. and they may have just, film-wise, they wanted us to know how close to sunrise we were. I like, mean, maybe, but even distance, clock towers are pretty loud. Oh, yeah, but there's a war going on. Yeah, but it's, he's, <laughs> in, he's literally in a destroyed I- not island, destroyed town with no actual, besides them burning buildings. But then, but then here's where I repeat film they did it just to bring that time essence back to the forefront ah yes because movie yeah, yeah. <laughs> literally they gotta portray okay it's 6 a.m it was 6 a.m right uh five or six it was five or six five or six i because i didn't hear it at first the first thing that drew my attention to it is i always have subtitles and it's like bell chimes or whatever mm-hmm. sorry if you hear that doggies are playing so, uh, off he goes, uh, load lightened somewhat with his charity, and um, on his way out, he encounters even more Germans. Lovely. Mm-hmm. And so more chasing ensues. Uh, they do a quick thing to establish that there's a river nearby, and so he gets the bridge. And yeah, because oh. she, she makes a statement, if you want to go that direction, the river is the best way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. River, river goes that way. Once more, a significant amount of breadcrumbs to lead us all that way, which I think it's important in movies in general, but especially with this fast-flowing camera work, it's really, really good to keep that stuff on the foreground without making it too Mm exposition-y. So it was very helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, And some of the CG and work work in this also was a little jarring. Uh, It was still pretty good for the most part, but... Uh, he jumps in. He finds rapids in northern France. I'm not a northern France expert, but it seemed odd. <laughs> and this is where I made another comment on um, April in northern oh, France. God, yeah. Can you imagine how cold that water was? I keep forgetting about the temp. Jeez. It could not have been pleasant. No, not at all. I will make a comment when he meets these other two Germans on his uh, expecting humanity from another person. When he stops the, when he catches the, the one German, tells him to be quiet, you know. Don't, and his, that was a kid too. Yeah, yeah. that was a kid. Just and then a young he, one. yeah, and then he doesn't, you know, he yells obviously or whatever, and then, one yeah, of the and he has to choke him out. Yeah. Death. I'm, I'm wondering if he like, because it's hard to say if he like just choked him out to the point he lost consciousness or actually crushed his windpipe. I think that was the heat of the moment. He, that kid was dead. Yeah. Which is too bad because uh, a fun. A fun fact I found out when listening to the commentary is uh, the the director named the two characters, or someone in the whole staging did, where they were named uh, Balmer and Mueller, which also, depending on those of you listening to this in the future, 
Today is October 28th, and Netflix is releasing All Quiet on the Western Front. It's a newer version, and I'm really looking forward to it. Hopefully it's quite good. Mm. But Balmer and Mueller were two characters in, uh, in that book and movie. And made-for-TV movie, and now Netflix movie. Yeah. So. Hooray, Netflix. <laughs> Not a sponsor. For any and all listening, do give it a shot. Uh, it's, when it was written, it was a quite groundbreaking piece. And really helped people see just the human tragedy that war was. And especially, like, how people used to be raised to believe, especially in, in certain areas, that war was an honorable and just thing and how noble nations discovered who was worthy of wielding the most power very good i honestly i think that's still the way it is and uh, in certain circles absolutely especially in america yeah we have a, a very weird um almost religiosity towards towards the troops mm-hmm. which i think is kind of like a bit of a sort of an overcorrection for how we traded vets out of Vietnam. Mm-hmm. That's how I was just gonna, I was gonna make that make that statement. It's yeah. like, yeah, we treat them good now, but if you're in southern Vietnam, you're not so much. You got spat on. Unfortunately. Which is, which, it sucks because like, Vietnam was one of the wars you got drafted to. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So like, you, you were for- choice. You were forced into doing it, you know, you didn't have a choice. They tell they literally tell you to do you have to kill all these people just to save, you know, but I just I don't under I don't understand that mentality of telling you, Oh, you gotta kill this baby or otherwise you you did it wrong. That's stupid. I don't understand that. Absolutely. Just just the idea of having to kill someone just because you're you're directed to, you're told to. I, I and that's one reason why growing up I I opted to not join the services because I, I don't want to lose that bit of control I have over my life, whether or not I take someone else's. Mm-hmm. And so. My dad wanted me to. Yeah. I thought about it, but at the same time, I was like, I don't, I don't think I could. Say, I never had, never had a urge to. Mm-hmm. If I had a slight urge to, my dad said, do it. I, I may have, would have, but I just never. No inkling. Never, yeah. never had that inkling. Yeah. Probably for the best. Probably. It would have ended up in Afghanistan. Well, I do have respect for <laughs> just about anyone. I say for those who do themselves. it for those who do it, more power to you. I mean yeah. you're you're doing what you doing what you believe in, but I just it just wasn't for me. Yeah. And fortunately we have the freedom to do that now. And that's that's even something though, we should be grateful for at least. Even though they're constantly talking about there's gonna be a draft, women are gonna get drafted now, all this, but now, with the way uh, they screen people, anybody with any mental illness is not going to get yes! drafted. <laughs> because you go through a mental test. I would fail with flying colors. And then, um, I'm pretty sure people overweight won't either. Yes! So, <laughs> yeah, Billy! Thank you, Pony Keg! <laughs> even though, yeah, you could work it off or whatever, but if you aren't physically able to be able even work it off to them then you're not going to be able to. You have to be able to have a certain mentality, a certain mental state to be able to serve. 
So a more majority of Americans would not be able to serve. I don't think they want my crazy holding a gun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially with especially with a lot of people recognizing their mental illnesses, recognize recognizing uh, their mental stability. You have to want to be want to do that to be able to do it. And even now, people are turned away. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is a step in the right direction. It, like especially during this war, it started to become. Um, actually a documented fact is stuff like post-traumatic stress disorder. Yeah. I mean, it was called shell shock at this time. Yeah, shell, it was shell shock. In um, the Civil War, it was often called warrior's heart because they would get palpitations, anxiety mm-hmm. later on in life. But, um, yeah, and I mean, just the numbers of shell shock. Like, by the end of the war, 80,000 cases in the British Army alone Dang. were discovered. It's some traumatic shit to go through. Like, not only fearing for your life, but watching your comrades die around you, having to kill someone else, seeing innocent lives already taken or being taken or not being able to help somebody. All that stuff factors into it, you know? Absolutely. And the the face of warfare was also quite a bit different than what probably anyone in this country will ever have to go through again just by the degree of shelling. Like those numbers I was discussing earlier, there was just so many shells constantly being fired. Like uh, German lines would often get bombarded for days before the actual assault, Mm -hmm. night and day, unable to sleep, boom. And these concussive blasts, they, they believe nowadays that when you're close enough to like even uh, certain artillery being fired that it can cause micro fissures oh. in in your physical person. Mm. So that was why they called it shell shock, is they believed it was something to do with the exploding ordnance that was causing these men's nerves to fry or uh-huh. some other old timey ghost in the veins doctor. <laughs> uh, I cut you here, you feel better here. <laughs> I stab your eye and give you a lobotomy, your brain better. <laughs> oh, God, the lobotomies only get worse at <laughs> this point, too. Oh, what a bleak time to have mental illness. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as bad as it is today, boy, I would never want to be born in the past. Uh, it was worse for uh, people of color and women because if, like, even if you had... Uh, if you there's a list of what women were sent to the Santa Thomas for, like the list is crazy. Yeah. Like some of them were um, hysteria, which your husband could just put you in there if he thought you were being hysteric, or uh, if the woman read too much, she got put away, or what else was it? Just having your period and having normal um, symptoms of your period, you got put away for that. Like this list is insane of what women got put away for, and then people of color were just used as guinea pigs. Eventually. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially like uh, the Tuskegee, I think that's how I'm supposed to pronounce it, um, syphilis experiments, where they just infected all of these men without telling them, and then telling them they're treating them without treating them, just yep. so they can do a longitudinal test on the effects. Yeah. Like, that is some freaking, I don't know, uh, Joseph Mengele level bullshit, mm-hmm. but well, like such a systemic level. Yep. Like, even women of color... Uh, back then, they when they were pregnant, they got treated differently, or they experimented on them while they were pregnant, and that some of that stuff is still done today, yeah. like how they're treated. Like, so, a lot of the advancements that were made 
towards gynecology was done by victimizing black slaves. Yep. Um, it, while they were completely anesthetized, because they didn't really have anesthesia back then, drink this rum, try not to think about if it. If they even gave them any and they alcohol or anything, yeah. Yeah, yeah. for these, these poor test subjects, yep. they, they weren't. It was and that's what's sad about... Uh, progression of health is there's so much dark history to how our health health system progressed by the systemic abuse of people of color women you know gay people you know all of that they were used as guinea pigs for anything and everything because we're not gonna we're not gonna stain our white bodies for this you know we're gonna use it on people that shouldn't feel pain because that's what they believed at one point they believed that Slaves didn't feel any pain. They did a survey, not even, just like, I want to say when I heard this was about a decade ago, and there was still a large percentage of doctors, some of which were doctors of color, that believed that black people didn't feel pain as much as white people. Oh. In this modern era, there, that, that myth still carries on. That's crazy. Yeah. I don't understand it. Everybody feels pain differently, but to just believe, oh, we're not going to give you this pain medication because you should be able to handle it. That's the cruelty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cruelty based on ignorant adherence to something you heard one yeah. time. And maybe, unfortunately, maybe it was even their teachers when they were mm -hmm. when they were getting their doctorate. But it's, it's just, it's amazing because you think... Oh, that was in the past. It's got to be better now. Mm, not if people still believe what no, they're told. Not if it's still believed. Not if some of these practices still happen that we know have people still treated the way they are. This is all bullshit, in my opinion. I don't understand why people just can't change. This was a nice tangent, but... Ah, yes. Right. Ah, yeah, right. Stay on target. Well, Stay we were kinda, on we target. We were on the tar same target. We are talking about how... He was, he fell into the river. <laughs> we were talking I can about see something. how those things might be divergent. <laughs> he fell into we, the we, we, we brought something up that he had to do with it. fell into the river. Uh, we, we started talking about shell shock. Ah, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. So it was pertaining. Tangent over. He's floating in the river now. Ah. Floating down the river with saturated liver and you find him in the morning wet and drowned. Okay. Uh... So, yeah, he goes through the rapids. He he nearly passes out through all of this ordeal. He, like, well, he swallows finally, a lot of water. He swallows so much water. Like, that's gotta hurt. Um, and then we get yet another grizzly sight. Well, I was thinking about the moment where he's laying, because he's laying on his back first right before we find the... the Dam. Water, the, the dam before yeah, the that, right? Dam. And you get that moment where he's laying in the water and you actually hear birds, birds chirping for the first, for the whole movie. You hear birds chirping for the first time. It's just kind of just like, whoa. Yeah. Kind of almost like he's crest over the surface of the river Styx or something. Yeah. Just outside of Hades. And... Then you get the cherry blossoms. I almost forgot yeah, about that. Yeah, the cherry blossoms are falling onto the water. And, and it just... looks like snow, like he said. And it's that it's that moment where it's like you get the sense where he's like, oh, he's... It's it, There's war all around him, and he's got this moment of peace. 
like he's able to actually finally finally get that amongst all of this calamity. I wonder if maybe it was a point where maybe he thought he actually died because of the cherry blossoms. Very well could have been. You know what I mean? I could see that, yeah. And the birds chirping and the serenity he had, maybe he's like, did I die? Because in the yeah. moment he like kind of looks at it, you know, yeah, kind of thing. Like unreal, right? Yeah. 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 Hmm. And I'm sure at this point he's so exhausted. He just sprinted. He's been struggling to keep his head above water. Yeah. And I'd like to give a nod to me for using the word calamity. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, that's, a big word word that you. that's a big word for you. That's a big word for you. Gold star. <laughs> I have a large vocabulary. I don't show it very often. Are but you I sure? Yes. <laughs> Certainly. <laughs> stab. Stab, stab. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, we get this moment of serenity, uh, like you're saying. And then it is slowly but harshly cut short. Yeah. <laughs> it is a, then it turns from a nice peaceful moment to a very grisly one very quickly. So what they're talking about is he's coming up to this dam. And it's a log, a log jam. It looked like a, a dam, like, it almost like a beaver dam, to my, in my opinion. It could have been. Is there beavers in northern France? I'm sure, I'm sure, or but something like it. It, anyway. it didn't. It didn't have the like little stick look because I, because I'd heard someone else uh, call it a beaver dam too. So I was looking more closely this time, and yeah, I think he's a little more right with log jam kind okay. of situation. Okay, like because you know you're just getting out of the a rapid area, so you figure anything that falls in there is going to stop at one place, and it just happened to be this this place, and um, he's swimming up to this what we first literally what you first think is just a log. But then as he's getting closer and closer, you're noticing, and she called it out before I even noticed, that there was bodies. Just so many. So many bodies. My first thought when I saw them was they were German or something. But then as they got closer, the clothing difference, and then you start seeing, like, female shapes and, you know, all that. You realize you're seeing civilians. Mm -hmm. And And that's one one of the questions I had was, was that, you know, were they simply just trying to escape what was going on in their town? And so they're just like, oh, hey, easy route, jump in the river, like he did. And they weren't just quite as strong as he was, or was that, you know, German firing squad and dump the bodies in the river? Well, at, at this point in the history of it, especially since Operation Albrecht had just ended, uh, I think a couple weeks prior by this time, it is quite possible that some of these were executions um a means to pollute the water uh a lot of times when uh the uh german empire would kill civilians at this period it was uh reprisals for sabotage or uh partisan behavior and so it's quite possible that that's how these bodies got there Hmm. but i think i did see like one german soldier in there too so I wasn't sure though. <laughs> yeah, I'm not hundred percent sure. I'd have to like pause it on that scene and look. Yeah. Because he the, climbs over a lot of bodies to get out. From the swiftness of that water, those bodies could have come from so far out. They could have come from further up from the from the town and just flowed down. So my hoping thought was it was just civilians trying to escape the war and they were just like the same idea he had. This is an easy way out. Yeah. And they just weren't as strong as he was or hit a rock just right or something like that and they just didn't quite make it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'd like to think. Well, because if they were <laughs> higher up, he went over, uh, 
Waterfall. Yeah, waterfall, yeah. So they could have hit their head, come down the waterfall, yeah. any other rocks. They could have hit one that he missed, some that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, a million ways to die in a rapid. Well, mostly contusion and blunt force trauma, yeah. but you know what I mean. Yeah, not being able to hold your head up long enough, you know, that kind of thing. And especially if, you know, if a, a group did it, their group's trying to stay together, you know, you're worried about the person next to you and they hold you down, you're underwater too long, and then you... It's well, like, even thing. the women, like, they were in dresses, so the dresses weigh you down even oh, more. Yeah, yeah you absolutely. Know? That's a, an interesting um, fact about uh, wool dresses and their potential lethality <laughs> is uh, during the Tudor period in English history, one of the leading causes of death was noted to be drowning. Because of the dresses? Because of the dresses. They would go to do laundry, they might slip into a deeper part, and suddenly this what was like 20 pounds of garment or more just quadruples in weight mm-hmm. and get pulled down yeah, probably more than that with how many layers they had probably yeah. yeah you watch some of these old shows that you know depict as well as they can the dress they had you see them and you're just like okay there's one layer two layers three layers four layers and then the dress did you buy the whole shop well <laughs> if you think about it with how their dresses were they probably had uh because uh, they weren't like the big poofy dresses so they probably had uh underwear like long johns or something under that because of where they were in the time of the year and they probably had socks over that and then they probably had some kind of slip under that and then normally there's another uh like kind of like a cottony uh there's a slip and then there's like a cottony other layer and then they have the coat that goes then they have the dress and then there's a coat that goes over the dress for that time of year. So many layers. Yes. Did we digress again? <laughs> a little bit. So, um, climbing over this pile of bodies, trying to get to shore the best he can. Yeah. And That's he's, a very grisly moment. Just, just the sign. Uh, once again, this display of the human suffering that this kind of conflict wrought on just civilians, everyday people, people just trying to mm-hmm. live their life. It, it shows you that, I mean, you could have lived around this period and not been a soldier, but you still might have ended up dead all the same. Mm-hmm. Now, moving on from the river, uh, we get to Schofield doing what I think is the most human thing in this situation, and that's just completely breaking down mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, a place I would have been at several hours earlier. Way I'm earlier. pretty sure most of us sitting, if not all of us sitting at this table, would have been a long, long, long time ago. Oh, I agree. I think for me it would have been uh, probably having to go through all the dead bodies. Yeah. Uh, 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 almost dying in the trenches. Yep. Yeah. And like, nope. Yeah, watching your, your best friend for the however last long he's been out here dying right in front of him. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh. Shoving my hand through a German. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just good times. Ew! And I can't... Did it go through his back? I keep remembering it as, no, like, I, going through, like, the backside of the German. No, from what what I remember, um, he was, uh... The German was on his back. He was laying on his back, and it was, like, his torso... Like his he, stomach, like his stomach or torso, and that's what he—that's what he pushed through. Okay. That would make sense why it went through so easily because you, you don't really have any bones 
Yeah. I, I figured it was like a shell hole or something. Oh, it could have been a shell <laughs> hole, yeah. Oh, but it was, oh, that's just the, just the visual and this. <laughs> like a splash in a boot. Okay. Moving on. Mental breakdown. <laughs> Well, once he uh, he composes himself finally, uh, you start to hear just the the little wisp of someone singing, uh, wayfaring stranger, just kind of moving on in on with the wind. And this was a very moving song and a great choice for this, because mm-hmm. uh, it it just carries with it the sound of coming to the end of a long journey. Yeah. In all reality, I thought um, he was losing it. I thought it was like in his head, and he was just like hearing things. But then eventually, you find out that somebody is singing. But because there's just been so much chaos going on, you're just kind of just like, who the fuck is singing in the middle of this shit? <laughs> Especially in the, so much chaos in the last what has it been? Last twenty minutes of the movie? Or so, yeah. Give 10, or take. 20 minutes. Oh yeah, yeah. The the mad dash out of the city with all the Germans on his tail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, and it, it's almost hauntingly coming out on the wind too, like to him. Yeah. Mm. So it's just. Yeah, I just I literally thought it was just in his head, like he was just like, oh, peaceful music, after all the dead bodies I've seen. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. And uh, as he as he follows the, the chords of this man singing, uh, closer to this encampment, you just see, a throngs like, we fo- come out to find later that this is going to be the second wave of the assault and they're just all just transfixed on this one guy singing lost in their own contemplations probably all focusing on the job that's ahead of them mm-hmm. i couldn't believe that they never noticed him well and i i think it's one could have been very easily been one of those things where they may have but they didn't want to bring they didn't want to bring focus off of the gentleman singing they wanted to keep you know, been like, hey, there's somebody approaching, but, you know, respect this guy. He's singing this song for us. So mm-hmm. That's what I think, but it very well could have been they were all so transfixed on this guy singing that nobody even noticed this half-dead guy crawling up from the river. Very moist and soggy. Yeah. Moist. Uh, <laughs> only when you're talking about cake. <laughs> Only one you're talking about, cake. There are other moist things in the world. Yeah, cake's the best one. A moist <laughs> bun? Mm. <laughs> Turns out a moist soldier. I think that's just a naval guy, though, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> or maybe a marine. Moist. Well, you better not call them soldiers, I guess. No, they're you just marines, them. man. Uh, uh, if you are the crowd. <laughs> the closest thing the U.S. government has to a straight-up cult. Pretty much. No, I would I would say there's other things that are much closer to a cult in the U.S. Let's be honest here. Right, I'm spe- speaking specifically of the government. <sighs> I guess there is the entire Republican Party, but the, oh, that's uh, what <laughs> <laughs> Hit the nail on the head. We I'm got really, it. I'm holding back so much laughter because I don't want to like blow out eardrums right now. <laughs> well, it's the truth. I mean, if we want to go there, we can go there. Wheel it in, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. Wheel it in a little bit. Must keep things civil. Uh, uh, anyway, so damn it. we uh, we're moving along. Um, the soldiers finally take notice of him. 
this is where he finally finds out that he's at the Devons. Uh, mm-hmm. he, can, he can still save them. But, unfortunately, the first uh, wave is about to go over the top. So he's just got a race there. And on his way, he runs into several um, captains and sergeants gathering the troops around, preparing them to go over the top. And we continually run into this sentiment, uh, especially with the higher-ups, like, get the fuck out of here. We don't want you talking all this nonsense. We're trying to get this done. Yeah. Which, looking back on uh, eyewitness... um, Accounts. Accounts. Uh, (laughs) Testimonies? If we're we're going, you're like... uh, (laughs) Like uh, Law and Order style here, like eyewitness testimonies. <laughs> but yes, uh, eyewitness accounts that uh, uh, a lot of times the worst thing that could happen is be minutes from going over the top and have it called off, mm-hmm. just so that you got to sit with this idea of I got to go up eventually. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think the way they they handle this part of the movie really helps kind of show that sentiment amongst, especially the the senior, um, more senior officers. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he's heading along, and finally it gets to the point where they are about to go over, and he can't get any more any farther through the trench. He, yeah, he's just getting he's there's just too many bodies between him and where he's got to go, and people are moving, and he just it's it's literally a wall. Well, of it's so people. it's so small of a space too. I mean, what it was maybe two or three people wide. Yeah, very narrow. If that even. Like we're talking, it was it was small. Yeah, this, yeah. This clearly had just been dug in, like over the last night or so. Yeah. Just so that they would have a staging area to do it, because mm-hmm. it, most of it's just at an incline. Even you don't have the the typical duck boards you see and uh, well established trenches or any of the tin on the sides to no. hold it in. Yeah. So, yeah, just not enough room to work. Uh, at this point, we also get to see the. Uh, I guess it's a little cynical to say here required amount of shell shock soldier, but we do run into the one captain and he's just blubbering. Yeah, yeah he's, he has is like, why am I here? Like he's he's at, he's at that stage. I think it's just like I'm dying today. Like that's I think he's just come to grips with it and he's just like, well. Well, do they even know how many actual soldiers are over there? They don't know it's actual trap, but do they even know? They, they had, say, from what I understand, they had no idea. Yeah, specifically this group, they think they have the Hun on the run, as it were. Mm. So they think, it, well, a lot of these people think that it's supposed to be like just a real quick victory. But this is also 1917, so they've also heard that like so many times over the yeah. last three years. Mm. Um, but yeah, this guy is, he's your your standard movie case of shell shock, crying, blubbering. Yeah. Um, but anyway, after this point, they're about to blow the whistles, and just as they are, he decides that the only way he can do this is to jump out of the trench and run across the front line to try to have any semblance of stopping this. Mm-hmm. And it is glorious oh, as yeah. far as like the way the shots blocked and everything. And from what I understood, they only had enough uh, like pyrotechnics and whatever other kind of special effects stuff that they could only film they had to get it done in four takes mm-hmm. and so that's what we, we had talked about that one night where you were just like and I had 
I process. You told me that, and I was processing it. I'm just like, uh, uh-uh. uh, no way. <laughs> Absolutely, no especially way. hundreds of extras too, trying to wrangle all those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's when, because I think I asked you the question shortly after that: is were any of his trip ups on camera planned? And you said no, and I'm just like, that was perfect. That was so awesome. Mm-hmm. I, I'm the one we noticed like. He didn't look like he got shot by anything, but then he gets ran into and then just stays dead. So he doesn't get back up or nothing. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess I guess that hit killed that run into killed him. Yeah, <laughs> see, I didn't see that one. It was like the first or second one, I think. Because I did see the one you you had we had talked about before, where he hits him, he gets up, runs like ten more steps, and then falls. Yeah, yeah, and I think. I think I, I might be thinking of the one she saw, too. I know there was this one... Oh, I don't think they combi- collided. But, like, just a few moments after he passed, then the guy took a fall. Oh, really? Like, he took a high velocity <laughs> round to the face or something. Dang. And it was it was pretty pretty impressively timed because it, it really added that sense of, oof, you just barely dodged that one. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What a jammy dodger. Well, yeah, it's, it's... I want to wonder how much space is between their front line and German front line. Say we never really get that sense, do we? No, they don't really establish anything to really get an idea. But considering they're running, they're probably only maybe a few hundred yards away well, at I this guess. point. So that would be that makes sense that they get shot dead on like that more often if they're closer together. Yeah. Especially if they're using uh, rifle fire. Yeah. Hell, they actually had it figured out on the machine guns to where. If you had someone reporting back about where to fire off, you could level the riot, the machine gun up a little bit so that you could actually hit people from oh, over like the horizon. Anchor like a uh, angle it to a certain way to where it, yeah. So the to bullet, get that trajectory. You see the bullet falling, it'll it'll. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Trigonometry. <laughs> <laughs> Something I didn't study in school. Uh, but yeah, music swells, it's great, there's a big wide sweeping, and then he does a really cool hero slide down back into the trench once he, I guess, some, somehow sees some kind of demarcation to let him know he's at the, the forward operating post. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, it's kind of a uh, lucky shot. Very lucky <laughs> shot. And then also, he just manages to slide just as they're blowing up a massive squib or whatever they would call it, and that dust is everywhere. Yeah. So that, that adds a very cool factor, like, ooh, he's barely making it. Yeah. And uh, then we meet the little bit of a confrontation he has with the guards, and they kind of set up some tension, like, oh, he's not going to get in, they're not even going to let him. And then they just kind of fuck off. Which yeah, they just kind of disappear. Very lucky, indeed. And then we meet Colonel Benedict Cumberbatch. Ah, Benedict Cumberbatch. (laughs) The Batch. And he has just the coolest eye scar going on. He actually looks like he should be a German general. Yeah, Yeah, that that fit. Especially in a Marvel movie. (gasps) Wait. Wait a second. (laughs) Wait a second. It's almost like he is in one. It's Doctor Strange himself. Whoa, man. Crazy. Who would have (laughs) thought? See, as a child, I would have thought that. Because for some reason in my brain, I thought... Oh, yeah. I thought actors... 
weren't different people. Yeah, I remember you telling me that. So you would have been like, what's this doctor doing, and why is he such a dick? So, so I'd be thinking, like, I would have seen, I would have watched Doctor Strange and then seen this movie and been like, why, 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 why does Doctor Strange have a scar on his eye? Why is he a dick general in the World War One? This makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much how dumb of a child I was. I didn't swear. Like, because the reference I take is uh, Bruce Willis. Because I think I watched him in Die Hard, and then I seen him in I seen him in something else. I'm just like, well, he was a cop. Now he's that. I'm confused. And then I think it was somebody at school was just like, oh, they're actors. They play different parts. Oh. <laughs> oh, I should give some background on the, the statement of saying um, Benedict looks like a German general. Uh, so anecdotally, what I've always heard is the German Empire, which granted wasn't a thing. It started in like 1871 and then ended in 1918 when uh, Kaiser Wilhelm abdicated. But from what I heard is at their military colleges, there was uh, a trend with the officers to get a dueling scar. So sometimes, from the way it was told to me, is some of these guys would just be like, hey Hans, I need to impress the teacher. Could you think you could give me just, you know, a little off the top, right here by the cheekbone? I need it to look good. <laughs> oh, I love Jake's German accent. <laughs> That's so great. I'm pretty sure no one in Germany would agree with Probably. I take the compliment. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, him looking nice and evil. We actually get a surprisingly nuanced approach to this because, like, a lot of times, especially in the World War One uh, type media that we see from the time, is you see this terribly stuffy aristocrat who doesn't care anything for the men over the top and all that. But this guy, through his finding out about these orders, you see him kind of progress through like rage to denial to acceptance to resignment and he even says yes we get this uh, order today to not go but next week we'll get another to go mm -hmm. and the only way this ends is last man standing and it, it was really impressively done and not just because I'm also a ludicrous fan of Benedict Cumberbatch uh -huh. yeah He's a pretty. He's a pretty. He's a. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, yes. Telling you. And also, too, I mean, they they would have been lucky if they would have got orders the next week. For all we know, it could have been the next day, the next couple days. They could have gotten that same exact order. Been like, oh no, you guys need to go over that hill. Yeah. And speaking of getting um, orders to go back over, this is going to be right around the time of the Nivelle Offensive, which was a massive. Uh, attack of what they thought would be the retreating flanks of the Germans and hundreds of thousands of men are going to die in the process of doing this. Like the French army nearly breaks this year because of not being allowed to take leave, being stuck in the trenches or just behind that if the Germans would have actually had correct intelligence, they could have potentially broke the, Fran the French this year. Mm -hmm. So... It's uh, it's on its way, and with that, it's kind of a real sad point to end at, because it's it's coming. A lot of these guys are just going to turn around and die. So yeah. even in the small victory, that it's it's fleeting. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry to bring up that point. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
Well, shit, dang it. My bad. It turns out World War One kind of sad. But yes, okay. So we get the we get the charge called off mm-hmm. after what's you, you get the feeling of a lot of convince like he's just like this is me stop. But we get there. He we call it off after. But this is after they've already started going over though. So yeah, people wave. have already died. Yeah. Uh, and then we still have one thing to do. Yeah, we got to talk to Blake's brother. Yep. Uh, Joseph, I think. And so we get one farewell gift from Benedict Cumberbatch, which is a very nice uh, fuck off, Lance Corporal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I forgot that happened. Yeah. So, uh, fuck well, off. It Lance has Corporal. been a couple weeks for us. Uh, yeah. And uh, then we head to the medical station it's what like it's a medical it? ward or medical station or something like that whatever pops in my brain when i think about it that was a mash so it's not the same thing it, but it's a predecessor essentially medical uh he said a word what was it uh, i remember it's yeah. medical something uh, gone we head gone. off and we see all the carnage of war once again um guys just utterly mashed by this because like he said, even though he got it to call off, we still got this whole first wave of hundreds of guys that went yeah, over. Yeah, there were so many men in there. This various forms of hurt. And when we find, and say that's another thing we we have found out that he was part of that. His brother was part of that first wave over. So we are we're immediate, immediately you're made for some reason you're made to think the worst. That's just with Hollywood and everything. It's just installed in your brain. The worst is gonna happen. Yeah, like especially you're towards the end of the movie. The it's like you're gonna find him on a stretcher or his hands blown off or you know he's missing an eye. Something. The worst is bound to happen. Mm-hmm. We get your a bit of your favorite five letter word. Oh dread. Oh, <laughs> yes. You get that nice feeling of dread building. I did Just notice. Over the top. I did notice too that the what, the doctors were washing their hands in the same tub. Yeah. And there was not clear water. Oh, yeah, this is this is only what um, Premian was. I want to say 1870. So this isn't very far removed from back when there was a very real um, argument as to whether or not a gentleman even had to wash his hands. Uh, did germs exist? <laughs> Germ theory well, in its s- infancy. <laughs> you see, you know, when you use the same pot that you wipe your butt with to wash your hands and stick it in a person's body. Bloodborne illnesses <laughs> do not exist, guys. Something's gotta happen. And I love your whole mustache. Like, it, it I turn, like my mustache? It turns you extremely British in like yes. a drop of a hat. Bloodborne <laughs> illnesses aren't real. I am a man of science. I know what I'm speaking about, gentlemen. It's all 5G, obviously. A woman, a doctor? <laughs> Non-existent. They should be at home cooking and taking care of the children. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's what they thought. That's fair. I know. It just caught me off guard. It's funny. Anyway, we work our way through this tent of torment and human misery. And uh, finally, we find his brother. And I think... I, I think honestly that it's on this moment that so much of the movie hangs. 
because like if this isn't a satisfying encounter like if we don't get the emotions out of this that we end up getting mm -hmm. the rest of the movie falls kind of flat yeah and uh what what is Blake's brother's name? The actor. Uh, uh, Google. <laughs> he's that guy from Game of Thrones. He's from right? Game of Thrones. He's one of the brothers. He's part of the Red Wedding. Uh, Pedro. Rich, Richard Madden. Richard Madden. He okay. plays Rob Stark. Old Mad Dick himself. Yeah. Get it, Dick Madden. Yeah. Dick. <laughs> this is why, why why Richard Dick. I don't understand. Why not just go by Rich? It Why would, go by Dick? It would make more sense, but old-timey stuff, man. It's, yeah. They used to wear an asparagus on their socket because that was the, the way of the time. Their I socket? Say sock. <laughs> okay, I, I had no, to no. think. Was, uh, socket? Yeah. Where are we talking about a peen? I was thinking a of butt. a light socket, but I mean... <laughs> For some reason, my brain went peen. So, whatever. <laughs> Right. Do you have the asparagus in your socket, guys? <laughs> anyway, we have this moment. Yeah. And moment. And as he's giving the news to Blake's brother, the he's at first he looks ecstatic, like, "Oh, he's here!" Oh, yeah, because he's. I came. I came with your brother. Yeah. And that look of elation, like he's truly excited. And Schofield just doesn't say anything at this point. And you don't, you only get to see uh, Richard Madden's face at this point, and you just watch it slowly sink yeah. as the realization sets in, like, oh, he, he didn't make it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's very subtle and very deftly performed yeah he does a really good job like making the emotion very visible very uh evident on his face his body language that's where he is really good to his brother counterpart in the movie with the acting and making himself go pale oh yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so these, these guys they know how to act their face off yeah literally yeah, literally not but i guess their faces don't actually fall off but they know how to act with their face. But Metaphorically we, speaking. What he said. We have, <laughs> we have the him reach into his pocket and hand the brother the two rings and the dog tag. C correct? I believe so. Also the photo, but also it's been a couple weeks, so. Yeah. yeah. My memory's getting a little fuzzy on I've the only beats. seen the movie once. But I know it's for sure. It's two. It's two rings. I remember him taking him off, taking him off his hand, and then of course he pulls the one dog tag off. So he does hand that to his brother. Yeah. And that's when. That's when like, you know he knew that his brother wasn't there, but then the realization hit even more like a wave when he got handed his personal effects. It's like because it even it was like just another level of him like he really really gone. I don't think, it was one of those things where I don't think he believed him at first, or didn't want to believe it, and then yeah. once he got handed that stuff is when it really hit him, yeah. kind of thing. Absolutely. It's a really sad moment of the movie. Mm -hmm. I really, dread's gone, yeah. and now it's just sadness. Yeah, now we're just left with this empty, Emotional vacant. damage. <laughs> <laughs> War was full of emotion. I know. Yeah, all sorts of it. 
<laughs> they were practically giving it away. Practically, they're like, here, you have emotional damage, and you get emotional damage. Everybody gets emotional damage. Turn, turns out Field Marshal uh, Hindenburg was actually the original Oprah. <laughs> uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're right, you're right, you're right. Oh. So, well, and then after that, um, Schofield retires uh, to a tree, and we end the movie much like we started, with him trying to get a bit of sleep. We also see in his hand that he did have family back home, mm -hmm. either a mother and a younger sibling or a wife and a child. Mm -hmm. And it just simply reads, come back to us, I believe. Yeah. Which, that that actually hit pretty hard. I remember that on my first watch. I, I felt the tears welling a little bit. <laughs> the tears. And he just sits next to the tree as his hand decays. Oh, yeah. Yes, that totally. so coming off. No medical <laughs> attention for that German soaked hand. And that was because I know Samantha and I had talked about when the movie, when the movie, or well during the movie at one point, and also at the end of the movie, is like it would be nice, be nice for, because I know I think I touched with you on it a little bit too. If it was like uh, we see the, that point in the movie where he's sitting next to a tree, if it would cut to black and then come back and it says like X amount of years later. And um, we see Schofield again, but he's like an older man missing a hand because <laughs> yeah. that hand is gone. Mm. Oh, All right, no, because it's been what a good at least twelve to eighteen hours since that happened. Yeah, I imagine so. So that yeah, that hand's gone. It's done for. It's done for. In the least, his hand is gone. That rod is set in. <laughs> but like, but like, it cuts to x next amount of years later. You see an older Schofield. He's standing over a headstone, which we'd automatically assume would be uh, Blake. Him visiting that, and then we see, you know, a lady pop next to him, which is the lady that was um, taking care of the child. Oh, so you're just talking about Saving Private Ryan now. <laughs> Shut up! It's okay! <laughs> Except without that really shitty, like, 1990s anamorphic thing where he turned into an old man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That wouldn't have happened, and he'd be missing a hand. That too. I guess now that you mention it, those two things does make it legally a distinct. Yes, yes. And he'd have a friend. He'd have a French wife, with a child that's neither of theirs. Ah, yes. <laughs> There's two kids. Oh, it's just a baby. Oh, he's talking about the the French girl with the. Oh no, the, the French girl. But okay, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay, okay. If he had a wife back home, she's gone. French she, lady. She died of the Spanish flu, actually. It was quite tragic. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, still mad they didn't go back for the baby and the woman. Actually, uh, I, I'd like to think that Sam Mendes found this old manuscript from a girl who had been born during the war mm -hmm. and was raised by a girl that she didn't know in a bombed-out mm -hmm. city. Oh, that'd be interesting. And he's like, yes, I will put this in my that'd movie. That'd be interesting. That'd be actually <laughs> an interesting story. It would be pretty cool. But then again, with how young the baby was, would they actually remember? Not a thing, no. Oh, I was going to say, <laughs> no, there's no, no way they'd actually remember. No. End up in the foster system pretty quickly, I think. I uh, don't know if there was a foster system. There were orphanages. I was making a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, doggy. Uh, so, I guess that that uh, completes the movie. You so, did have a mention about the filming with the outhouses. Oh, God, yeah. Don't forget right. that. Oh, my goodness. 
So we talked about this at work. Yeah. So it turns out during filming, the uh, the porta pots for the crew and everyone had been placed quite a distance away from where they were shooting. I imagine for sanitary reasons. Mm-hmm. But some of the guys are like, ah, it's a little too far. So they picked this one particular tree near the set. And used it as their bathroom. So essentially, by the time you see Schofield leaning against this, um, that is a piss-drenched tree. Oh, gross. So, in retrospect, he's sitting in piss. <laughs> he, he lost his friend, gave his friend's brother bad news. His hand is dying. Just all in all, bad day. Yeah. You know, random thought, but if you think about it, Practically any tree could have been pissed on within the last 24 hours, you know? So if you think about it, you randomly sit by a tree, you're sitting in pee. Yeah. We, by not only animals, but humans. We guys are pretty gross. We yeah, you guys are tree. disgusting. <laughs> well, the, the crew, and I'm assuming a lot of the cast were probably using that. So many people probably use that certain spot. It was probably wet. He didn't feel that? Well, I guess <laughs> if you don't think... The thing is, though, if you if you're filming, you're gonna sit down. And he, if he if he's a good actor, he's gonna continue going with it. Uh, yeah. Roll right. with the punches. Yeah. Oh, Well. Uh, so we gotta ask our we gotta ask our question. We gotta ask our question. What would you do in this movie? How do you think you would fare being one of the protagonists? Tagnai. <laughs> and I think it's fair to establish some ground rules in this. We'll assume that we grew up in the late 19th and early 20th century, so we're going to be a bit more fit than we mm-hmm. are now because life was just labor-intensive for yeah. almost everyone. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, because I'm quite round. We're also going to assume that regardless of the time we are eligible to be in the military because that was a bit of a sticking point. Uh-huh. Um. So yeah, what uh, what do you think? How are you faring out in well, this? Well, given those parameters. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just but I love you carrying on this bit. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. Given the parameters I've been set. Parameter, say it right. Uh, parameter, sorry. Um, I, th- I, I would like to think I'd make it as far as the blown up city. I'm pretty sure I'm dying in said city. <laughs> yeah. But I'd, I'd like to think I'd make it that far, at least. Yeah. Well, if we go by the times, I wouldn't have been able to serve anyways. That's why I, I know. <laughs> but, but. That's why I said it like that. As just, a woman, I, I wouldn't have been considered good enough to serve. Let's I, be real here. I'm just predicting the internet being what it is. And I... Cause, I don't want people to listen and be like, well, actually... Well, actually, they're going to do it anyways. Just, well, actually, they're going to say something wrong in the history of something. And they're going to be like, actually, no. Don't fucking at me. Keyboard warriors. Anyways, <laughs> let's go. So, I think I would have possibly made it to the city, and I think I would have ended up staying with the woman and child. I don't think I would have left them alone. Now yeah. with those Germans running around, I would have been like, fuck these people, I don't care. I'm, uh, they can figure it out themselves. If they fuck, get fucked over, they fucked over. I would have See, my sense of duty to Blake would be too strong, though. Yeah, see, uh, <laughs> I would have been like, well, there's a baby here. Considering me now, I'd be like, there's a baby here, I don't care. I I like your determination. My, <laughs> my, my sense of, yeah, I could save a bunch of people, but there's a, like, in the times... I'll put myself as a man, I guess. 
or we're in at least an alternate reality where women are just as bloodthirsty as men. Well, I am bloodthirsty, but that's a whole different reason. But anyways, I don't know if I would have this one this one woman with child. I don't think I would have left, or I would have gotten there, told them everything. And then I'd be like, okay, now we gotta go back to this this town and get these people right now, or we're not. I'm not. We're not moving forward. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and me, I'd also like to believe I got to the city, the city, but pretty sure I'm falling off that bridge and snapping my fucking neck or something. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in hobnail boots, I just do not see me getting across very well. Hmm. I guess, yeah, I didn't think about that. But I... I he probably just would have waited across the canal. That, I probably would have done anything besides fucking use it like a jungle gym. Like a balance beam? Yeah. Yeah, that was not the smart way to cross that bridge, but he got across. Well, what he could have done is he could have taken off his pack, thrown it. Because it wasn't very it wide. It wasn't very wide. He could have thrown it across, and then he could have waded through or like just in that middle because you can feel metal under there or whatever so you could he could kept on held on to one side and then reach for the other side when he got to the broken part kind of thing hmm. you know what i mean yeah yeah that does he would have got wet but... probably wouldn't have broke his neck <laughs> or put himself way out in the open for any free shooter yeah let me just stand out. on top of and this bridge that's and, like... another thing <laughs> why did that guy he should have been able to see him crossing the bridge. What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> Unless he was like, he was just in daydreaming or something and wasn't paying attention. Oh, but he was sure quick to fire as soon as, as soon as he crossed, though. I'm saying daydreaming. He was daydreaming. He was like, oh, wow, there's my wife at home or whatever. <laughs> you know, my, my mistress or something. And then he's like, oh, shit, there's a guy going across the bridge. I gotta shoot him. Shiza! <laughs> But anyways. So, yeah. I mean, okay, you would have saved um, a baby. So, that's good. And the woman, because, I mean, let's well, be honest. Yeah, yeah. She was still cute. Come on. Fair point, fair point. Uh, I would have died um, in glorious defeat. <laughs> <laughs> and there is some point in time I'm dying in that city. I'm not sure one particular time if I'm getting my horrible shooting from the free shooter or the stand, the Mexican standoff between the one German guy, or the one guy rouses from his drunk state while I'm strangling his best friend, he's shooting me in the back. <laughs> yeah. Something happens, and I, I don't, don't make think, it out of that city. I don't think I would have been with the the young kid or whatever. I don't think I would have tried to shush him. I would have just knocked him out. Oh, the, I'm, yeah, with the butt of my gun or something. I'm I would have just instead of killing him because he's young, I would have knocked him out. Colombian necktie. <laughs> 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 this is bullcrap. <laughs> and you call yourself bloodthirsty. <laughs> listen, listen. Well, especially after. Especially... If I'm trying to be stealthy, like you know, video games, you try to do stealthy all the time. That's what I'm about to do. But we're talking about real life situations. Uh, yeah, it would have clunked him in the face. He would have fallen, still made a noise, not been like fuck, and had to start shooting or running. Yeah, like I usually do in video games. <laughs> the the cock up cascade, as it were. Yes. <laughs> because I say I I I would have just killed the killed that one German guy because of the instance that happened with the pilot. Like 
been like, nope, not taking chances. Yeah, that's still Done. pretty fresh in your mind <laughs> yeah. at that point. That's fair. Like, come on. Wow. Am I that heartless? Am I? It's like, is my soul empty for thinking yes. that way? Um, <laughs> I think it's easy to just imagine yourself doing that. Well, it's like we haven't ever been in combat so yeah. i guess also if you listen to the zombie apocalypse, apocalypse. You, 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 i'm kind of heartless it, <laughs> it is a picture window into the bleakness of your heart yeah. <laughs> zombie apocalypse self-preservation man <laughs> we gotta make the decisions that keep us alive yeah i was just watching um because Ray's been going through uh, The Walking Dead for some reason. And I'm watching, and that, that Shane character, I'm like, ah, so this is what Chris would be like, huh? <laughs> yeah. he's like all about killing motherfuckers to protect. Oh, is it Laura? Or I forget Laura. her name. Uh, I don't remember. Laura? I haven't watched it in so long. It's L something. It's L something. And, and the boy. Lori. 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 Uh, but yeah, so that's pretty awesome. At least we all got a part to play. Mm -hmm. I'm the old guy who gets fucking murdered anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, so that's uh, World War One in uh, half half shell. <coughs> yep, because not the full nutshell, just half the nutshell. Yep, 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 yep. Because yep, yep. <laughs> there's a lot, more, there's a lot more to it. Because war is bad. Yes, and sad. War. What is it good for? Absolutely, Absolutely. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. So yeah, going out. Uh, recently, around the time of this, it was the 28th, Netflix uh, released a new version of All Quiet on the Western Front. Honestly, check it out. Uh, it took some liberties with the source material, uh, originally written by Eric Maria Remark, uh, as a fictionalization of his account and his time in the First World War as a German soldier. Uh, it's got a lot of striking visuals. If you like 1917, it's worth a try. Um, beyond that, check out your local library. <laughs> and also, I mean, if you haven't seen this movie and we've totally spoiled it for you, check out this movie. It's very good. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not big on war movies, but this one was very decent. I'd watch it again. Absolutely. Beautifully shot. And uh, it's got a bit of history. Not exact, but... And it's always good to know where we come from. Yeah. So we don't repeat it. <laughs> Even though we always constantly do. History uh, repeats itself, guys. History is a big, flat, dumb circle. <laughs> yes. like Anyways. The, like, like the earth? Like the earth. Oh, my Just God. Just like the earth. Stop it right now. <laughs> Flat earthers, stay out of the comments. Anyways. Uh, uh, follow us on Facebook, and also we do have listener support up on uh, our Anchor account, so you guys can support us if you like. Uh, yeah. Make sure to follow the podcast so you always get updated of our new episodes we release every Monday. Yes. And that is from all of us here at Twisting Tales Podcast. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.